this is BBC One. And this is BBC Two. And this is Television Centre. And this is David Dunsbury, a commissionaire on the main gate. And this is the main gate. And this is Vision Maintenance. And this is Press A during the strike. And this is the Noddy symbol. And this is the symbol of peace and goodwill. And this is a piece of goodwill. And this is Benidorm, where I went on holiday. And this is, uh... What is this? Hello, I'm Noah, and this is Nelly, except she can't do the voice. All aboard the podcast! All aboard the podcast! You know that's not going to mean anything to anybody that's not 50. Oh, right. Hello, I'm Andrew. Hello, I'm Lisa. Welcome to episode 46 of... Round the Archives. Which is a What Has the BBC Ever Done For Us special. It is indeed. Well, sort of, isn't yes. it? As we look at some of the best of the BBC mm-hmm. from lots of contributors. Yes. Just a loose end from last time. I, I mm-hmm. said about Sandy Balls. You did in the uh, Here Come the Double Deckers article. Yeah, and I claimed it was uh, a golf course. It's actually mm-hmm. a holiday village in the New Forest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it uh, might have a golf course. It might, there might be golf available yeah. as, as a faculty or a mm-hmm. facility, but I don't know. So let's start as Warren mm-hmm. joins us on the sofa yes. to talk about... The Great Egg Race. This is a mighty queer place for an egg race. Hello and welcome back to The Great Egg Race. And today these three contributors are sat on the sofa and I'm going to ask Warren to help me with a little experiment. Warren, could you hold out your hand please and shut your eyes. I'm going so what, my eyes? Shut your eyes. Oh right. I'm going to put something in your hand and I want you to feel what it is and tell me if you think you know what the thing is. Okay, you ready? Yes, yes. Be warned, it's quite hard. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Put your hand. Ah, what's that? Take it out. Take it out. You That's can, not natural. You can open your eyes now. Ah. <laughs> oh. What is it? 
Screwdriving. It's a screwdriver. <laughs> it's a screwdriver. Oh, that felt all like wrong. It didn't it? Yes. Yeah. Now the reason I've given you a screwdriver, because yes. I want to know if you're happy with a tool in your hand. Because I definitely am not. No, it's very uncomfortable to have one resting in your hand, yeah. especially one as clammy as that one. But <laughs> you and me are, are, are blokes, yes. apparently. And Lisa, you're a lady. Yes. And I, I've never felt particularly happy doing practical things. You've not liked getting your hands on some tools. So at school we did woodwork and metalwork and yes. things like that. What did you make in those? Virtually nothing. I made a chicken feeder and that was about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I spent most of a year Chickens just... didn't eat out. Just, just sort of... I don't know what I did. I think I sort of polished me tools and things like that. <laughs> beyond, beyond that, I honestly didn't take anything home. So... No? Yeah. No, I did. I, I'm not practical in any say, sense whatsoever. So putting anything together from, say, somewhere like Ikea, I'm going to yeah. end up with a pile of bolts and a pile of wood in the corner. So we spent a, a lovely afternoon watching episodes of The Great Egg Race. Absolutely. With the wonderful mm. Professor Heinz Wolf, mm-hmm. whose middle name is Siegfried, which I think is brilliant. And appropriate. Because that ties mm. in with a, another article later on. Mm-hmm. But Warren, uh, had you seen any of these? No, I haven't. Recently? No, I haven't seen Egg Race since um, yeah. um, since original broadcast. And then only uh, Egg Race. I've only seen the last season of Egg Race. Yeah. And did you even know these were available to view on the BBC nope, website? Not at all. Not no, at all. and we'll talk about that sort of later on in the sort of wrap-up piece we do. But, yeah, there are loads of episodes of The Great Egg Race. Just go to bbc.co.uk archive, mm-hmm. and there they are. Yes. So... We travel back to January 1979. Mm. It was me. With Brian Kant in his... Well, what's he wearing? It's a sort of... Um, Light blue safari suit, so, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was waiting yeah, for yeah. A, a... You almost need a wide brim hat, didn't yes. they? Yeah. But the, the idea of the Great Egg Race is to design an eggmobile to mm. transport an egg yes. the furthest distance, yes. powered by one rubber band. Mm-hmm. Now, later on, they talk about the mechanics of this. Mm-hmm. And there's two ways to to use an elastic band you can either stretch them or you can twist them and it it does remind me of that eternal dilemma do you spit or do you swallow Uh, which is what wine tasters talk about (laughs) (laughs) she went first she corpsed first I'm not being in the edit Because when you taste wine, yes. some people argue that if you... If you quite a reasonable s- comment to make, I would if say, you wouldn't you? If you spit it out... Yeah. It's or, a waste of the wine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You or, if you, readily, so. or if you swallow it, <laughs> you do get... you get more of the aftertaste? Mm. And I don't know. <laughs> what um, do you think? I, I don't like wine, so I nah. don't really drink it. But, so what about gargling then? <laughs> it's a whole different ball game. But... <laughs> <laughs> But this is all set up initially through a BBC local radio competition, isn't oh, it? Oh, happy days. But the winners can go on to the International Great Egg Race in Toronto. And they do actually show it in the last episode of that yeah. series, which yeah. is also on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, there's like a 10-minute sequence mm-hmm. at the end of the of the competition. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's oh, wow. fascinating and dull at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but... I think it's fair to describe all the contestants as standard nerds, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I think so, yes. Because uh, they're all engineers or, or, or science-y inventory sorts. Mm-hmm. But there's two, two distinctive categories. Right. 
non-facial hair yeah. and facial hair. Yes. Because you were asking me about beards, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, I asked you, is it compulsory for scientists to have the beards, being that you're a scientist? Well, I don't think it's compulsory, but I think what, what happens is that if you're of a sort of scientific mind or... You were going to say bent, weren't you? I was thinking about <laughs> saying bent and decided not to. Um, if you're of a scientific mind, beards and shaving are so low down on your list of priorities that you sort of end up with a beard by accident. It's not designed. Okay. It's just It just sort of arrives in its own time. So that then brings a question up for lady scientists. Yeah. So they don't have beards. Okay. Well, there's so few they... on this show, it's hard to tell. Okay. <laughs> there are some ladies later on. There are on. some ladies, yes. yes. Occasionally. Yes. Mm. Scary but, ones. But they're mostly on presenting duties at this yes. point, yes. aren't they? Because you've got Charlotte Allen, who's mm-hmm. the American correspondent, who you said Warren reminded you of Connie Booth. Yeah, it just she just she just screamed Connie Booth at me. Yeah, but she, so she I could go, just see Polly. She goes off to see the the sort of contestants from the local radio stuff. So there's Radio Birmingham, mm. who have got um, devices like the Double Yoker, and the and something called Al Booman. Which, which is an egg who's, who's riding about in one of the things, because inevitably that they, they always put sort of twiddly bits on the on these things, yes. don't mm-hmm. they? Eggs with noses and things like that, <laughs> and horns. And... Yeah. My, my egg has no nose. There, there's there's one um, made from two records of the Brandenburg Concerto, <laughs> and then we we is ra- the egg having a movement then. Yeah, we rapidly decamp to the Arndell Shopping Centre in Manchester. Now that's yes. an old term of name, isn't there? No, no, we used to have an Arndell Centre in Paul, and you still call it that. I don't still you? call the Arndell Centre and get in trouble for it. Yeah. Yes. And there's one called the Clucking Egg, apparently. And that one had a big long neck with a bird's head on the top. Oh, that's right. Yeah, some anorexic sort of but, uh, goodies goose. But do you remember it? those bird drinking? ornament things oh, yes, that yes, used to yes, dunk yes, their dunk, heads yeah, yeah. and then you used to have the wood chopper as well didn't you with yeah. caught in the wind windmill at one point there's a baby loose on the on the uh on the course <laughs> on the what it's a track oh, isn't i think it? it's a crack and then you get to sit you get to see charlotte's high st- high tech scoreboard what were you yeah. going to say high stack high stack <laughs> high stack <laughs> <laughs> which was nicked from um we are the champions isn't yeah. it? all done in chalk as well isn't it <laughs> and i'm um, slightly wonky at certain yes. points <laughs> I th- it, it, it's a, such a BBC Two production, isn't it? Mm. We, we we brought that. There's, there's only one channel that this type of program can be on. Yeah, and it's BBC Two. I mean, this is a type of program that you'd have from its inception, really, as yeah. well, isn't it? Really. Uh, you've also got a, a bloke from Radio Brighton at some point as well, but you don't get to see his his sort of his entrance, do you? Yeah, don't see his heat. No. no. Um, but Heinz is really the best person for this show isn't yeah. he well, at this point he's a judge he's just he? a judge but he then later comes on to be the presenter as well and he's so enthusiastic yeah. I, I put encouraging because yeah. even if your thing is rubbish yeah. he will still find something nice to yes. say about it yeah. he's, cre- he's creating a passion isn't he yeah. mm. and, it, and and that's going through to his audience mm. from the kids with the Meccano set yeah. to the fully fledged scientists and he's getting that grey matter going within the audience and that's good, it's bubbling away because did you ever have Lego 
as a kid. I love Lego. Yeah. I lo- if I have Lego now, I sit there for hours and building things. Yeah, right, yeah. Love Lego. Did you have Lego? Not really. I had a few a few bits and pieces, but not enough. Not not a set. Not enough mm. to make anything big. That was the trouble. I had a. I, I didn't have Lego. Oh, Girls yeah. weren't allowed Lego. No. Weren't you? No. Girls were allowed Lego. Yeah, allowed but Lego. I never got Lego. Yeah. About all I could ever make was a windmill. That you build a wall and put one of the wo- um, wheel things in it, and you turn a handle with an elastic band and, and make things go round. Oh, I but... had a little motor, and I kept making lift shafts and yeah, things. Right. So. Yeah, cool. But yeah, the the, um, the sort of ch- studio challenge for episode one is precision weighing, mm. where they've got to weigh a feather, an egg, and a brick, <laughs> and they're given like a fifty gram weight. Some bostic and some treacle, yes. <laughs> and some blue tack, blue tack, yeah. and all sorts of bits of wood re- and stuff. It is real Heath Robinson yeah. invention time, isn't it? Because there's a team from Leicester Poly who you described as the Bee Gees. <laughs> they are the Bee Gees. Yes, they are the Bee Gees. With their shirts over with medallions and hairy chests, with some kind of wildlife, cons- probably being in it. I do like the fact, and we we all picked up on it, that one of the blokes is clearly very unhappy that a lady is talking to him. That's one of the ones oh. that is doing the egg race. He was bit, very yeah. shy, wasn't yeah, he? It's the, yeah. it's the Radio Brighton It's the Radio one. Brighton man. Yeah. He's like, oh, girl talking to me, withdrawal. Yeah, and, and she does touch him at one point. Yes, yeah. 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 I expected him to recoil. He can almost <laughs> think, he's, he's, he's obviously telling himself, don't move away, don't move away. Don't it react. would be rude. Don't react, don't react. <laughs> and Heights comes in <laughs> with a mic on a lead. Yes. Proper old BBC microphone. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, what was it? You said um, when the post office wins, he, he goes all Mr. Grace because he says everybody's done jolly well. <laughs> yeah. But then, then we leap forward a, a couple of years to 1981 where we have to build a gramophone. <laughs> and there's, there's Hilary Henson on presenting duties, and we we did count the number of times we, um, there were references made to horns and things like yes. that because yes. of they our pure like horns. Yeah, quite a lot. Uh, a typical quote that looks remarkably like a horn to me. She says, um, <laughs> "But uh, isn't the judge from the London College of Furniture as well?" Yes. <laughs> MFI yeah. in brackets. But yeah, they've got three and a half hours to make a record player, basically. Mm-hmm. They, they they get supplied with 78s. To, to be fair, yeah. it was all very <laughs> crap. <laughs> I, 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 could you make out much of the... Um, Only on back? the last one. Yeah. On the, yeah. The, the last team's one, you could sort of hear it a bit. Yeah. The first two were mostly just very scratchy. Cause it all I co- think one was creating grooves rather than playing from grooves it's all cobbled together from like beer cans and knitting needles isn't it yeah which which i made the comment about uh, which led on to me to believe that if they can make things like that then time monster sequence isn't as daft as it seems but <laughs> <laughs> with per- Pertwee's device yeah what was your first record player actually like it was one of the Woolworths one where you could stack the 45s yeah. up on the list and they kept dropping down. But every so often, a, a great load of them would drop down. I had a I had a portable pie thing in a big box. Yeah? Yeah. That's right, you'd take the lid off. Yeah, the lid exactly off, like mine. Yeah. What colour was yours? Blue. Mine was red. All right, yeah. all right, you, Lisa. Uh, well, I didn't actually... My parents had one, a sort of big one in a sort of... I don't think it was wood, it was like plastic. Oh, oh sorry. Look, uh, look, mm. Dressed up as wood. And I used to listen to Pigs in Space on it. <laughs> um, How does that go? Pigs in Space. <laughs> okay. 
And then I got a little hi-fi thing that had a record player on top, yeah. which I listened uh, to Absom Dark on. Yeah. Before we, you remember when we used to do our audio play on mm. our stereo system that we had at our house. Before that, we had a, a gr- uh, we had a stereogram, yeah, oh, yeah. which massive great wooden thing. My my gran had a. She didn't have the innards, but she had the. <laughs> well, she didn't have the How did she player. operate then? Behave. <laughs> she didn't have the record player bit. Ladies and gentlemen, I was, was just dug in the ribs by Alicia's elbow. <laughs> but it was full of sort of paperwork and stuff. Big Your granny thing. was full of paperwork. No, her stereogram was oh, full of right. paperwork. Sorry. <laughs> but this is this is all very much the spirit of Wilf Lunn or Heath Robinson, mm. isn't it? As as they've got a fluid drive. Yeah, yes. their, their record player runs on water, basically, yeah. to, to make the thing go around. Which, which I could understand because uh, the, the the story behind them creating it is they're all on a desert island. Mm. Yeah. So use the resources around you, use the water, wouldn't yeah. you, to power it? But frankly, all they tend to end up with is 20 seconds of scritchy noises, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And and Rose Cat even got off, yeah. off my lap and, and went away because she was so disgusted with it. Yeah, there was too much scritchy there. <laughs> Too hard but yeah, Heinz is still very diplomatic, even he's, in he's this very situation. Sweet. He's very diplomatic. He's very sweet. Yes. Yeah. 1984 sees Time for Tea. Mm. Oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> yeah. As a BBC tea lady, who it's hard to tell. We, we weren't, weren't sure whether it was Leslie Judd or I not. I thought it was Leslie Judd. It might, it up, might have been. She's just got a new job going yeah. up in the world. Yeah. Normally, Leslie Judd is outside with, with a... a machine made of all different parts that does things to eggs but um <laughs> yeah they have to make a tea making machine that runs on ball bearings and you can tell that somebody's written written heinz a great the great joke let confusion be turned into infusion mm. and i bet he was up all night practicing that yeah <laughs> um you've got ian fells as as the guest judge who, who you said was like a photocopy of heinz wasn't yes. he? Yes. he he's got the same costume yeah but it's a different shade <laughs> yeah yeah because yes. do you think it's the evil side of heinz <laughs> <laughs> well they put him through a transporter and ian fells came out the other side yeah, yeah. you should have a little beard yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they've both got bow ties he did have a little beard yes yeah. <laughs> Oh, then. I'm scared now. I, that opens a whole different raft of uh, possibilities there. But these devices oh. are, very, are very sort of in the realms of Wallace and Gromit, aren't yes. they? It's like strings mm. are pulled. But and, not as good. And, and things <laughs> go around. Or, or you, you suggested it was possibly a mousetrap game. Because mm, that never worked. That. No. So we get, we get to see inside a real tea machine, the sort mm. you'd get at work. And I think we were half expecting to see a bloke inside with a kettle, weren't we? <laughs> It'd be better tea if that were. Yeah, fun. it would be. Yeah. And I was reminded of the new traumatic tea machine in the Hitchhiker's Radio series. Oh, yes. If you remember that episode, it doesn't taste. Yes. It, where it scans you and then delivers the same liquid no matter what the scan results are. That's the one. Yes. Which, which tastes almost entirely unlike tea. Yes. And I think that's what they end up with with a lot mm. of these. Because Heinz is is drinking tea all the way through this episode, isn't mm. he? Yeah. We we briefly see Leslie Judd outside with the incredible egg machine which has got an earth mover, Ooh. dearie me. Uh, but that's continued next week. And unfortunately, the final episode from that season isn't on there. So we Probably never know if it episodes. works or not. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> then there were some sexy knees for the ladies. Oh, yeah, because they've got night shirts on. The contestants. The contestants. Not, 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 not Heinz. Heinz. Yeah, because... You've they... just, just 
You put, put a vision your in my head. head. He's got a wee wee winky um, candlestick holder in the head. Hello, yeah. I'm Hans Wolf, and welcome to The Great Air Grace, and blows the candle out. There's your titles. And we should say, you said Ian Fells also reminds you of Richard Stilgo as well. Yeah. 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 Mutant Stilgo. But um, the results, frankly, would you have drunk any of them? Oh, God. There's one that just seemed to be milk, didn't it? Yeah. Mm. They were surprisingly upbeat about them, yeah. weren't but they? Considering the fact that I don't think it was the contestants' fault because they couldn't allow the tea bag to remain in the other cup for too long. Yeah. Because they had a time constraint of about, what, 15 seconds? You mm. can't brew a decent cup of tea, uh, being connoisseurs as we are yeah. of tea, mm. within that time. No. But yeah, so the, ultimate, like pee. the <laughs> ultimate punishment is they have to drink their own. Yeah. One and of their them tea drinks as well. And their tea as well. Yes. Yeah, one of them drinks it and makes a face. Yeah. So he doesn't like tea or he just doesn't like that tea. Jumping ahead to 1986, back to nature. <laughs> with, with, with guest judge Cynthia MacArthur. Who with, is eccentric to say the least. I just, all I, just all put, I will say is somebody left the door open somewhere. <laughs> I just put posh supergram. Um, Not even that, no. By this point, uh, Heinz is, is riding a wi- really weird bicycle in the title <laughs> sequence, um, and which puts a wig on him at one point. Yes. I don't know why. He doesn't need one. But they're up in Scotland making breakfast, and they have to make coffee and sugar and bread and butter from um, raw uh, ingredients, and get basically. And, and the raw ingredients have four legs, don't they? Yeah. Okay, yes. One of the contestants' claims to fame is that he keeps a pet spider. Mm. But I suppose you could say that about us, couldn't you? Yeah. Um, and uh, w- one of the earlier rounds was to make a machine to lift three women as well. <laughs> That's what all that was about. All I can see is three Ballerenbergs in a row. Uh, I think it was the equivalent of three women. Yeah. Ah. So I don't think it actually lifted three women, but it could lift the weight yeah. equivalent to three women. That's really sexist, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Mm. There's, there's a cow or two in the studio yeah. and a goat. A goat, And yeah. you, you spotted a cock as well, didn't you? There was a cock in the background. Yeah, yeah. I, they never really get, did a close-up of that. Yeah. Um, he just sort of stretched his wings, didn't they? Uh, mm. But but this, this um, sort of guest... Cynthia, she's meant to be sort of self-sufficient, isn't she? Mm. Except, Lisa, you noticed she was wearing jeans. She's wearing jeans and, and her boots are certainly not self-sufficient. Yeah. yeah, and I said she certainly didn't find her Levi's in a bush, did she? <laughs> I like the quote about the cow. There's more going in the front end than is coming out the other end. And I think that was just setting themselves up for a fall, wasn't it? And I, I did feel a bit sorry for the cow because I wondered how hard they were pulling on its, its oh, udders. Teats? Teats, yeah. Teats. Yeah, Twist like, and pull, isn't it, gently? Yeah. Twist and pull, yeah. gently. You'll hurt it. They were having much more fun with the goat. Can, the goat was nuzzling her a bit because she, because Cynthia MacArthur was holding the goat, and it was almost nuzzling into her a little yeah. bit. Um, they grind their corn between two bricks. <laughs> a brick and a paving stone. Yeah. yeah. So um, you just get dust. And by the end of it, Warren was pleased that Heinz had the classic uh, glasses on forehead yes. look. Yes. Yes. You were waiting for that. Yes, but we must have to say he is the coolest man in the world because bow ties are cool. Indeed. They are cool, yes. And I have to ask you, would you dare eat the results? Heavens no. Would you even be allowed to give it to the audience these days? Because he, he passes he fed it, it to a child. Yeah. And you know, he gives him some bread and says, what does it taste of? And he says, concrete. Yeah. <laughs> I like the fact also that Heinz is impressed by the huge baps of the yellow team as well. <laughs> Sorry, huge buns. Sorry, my mind was elsewhere. Um, he, he described a soup son of brick dust in the bread. <laughs> yeah. 
But the coffee was vaguely okay. Yeah. And they, because the, the, they had to produce sugar as well. And obviously you that can't, bizarre, you it? can't yes, refine syrup, sugar in that short amount of time. So they sort of get a sort of brown syrupy, syrupy kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, he promises a humdinger of a show next week as well. <laughs> and I also like the end credits on this one because he's riding his bicycle and watching the end credits. He looks down at yeah, them every, every, so every now and, yeah. and, and, and then. And, and he does a great big grin at the end he when does. the producer credit yes. comes out. Yeah. And the beauty of this format is that you could do this now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's absolutely a format that is still Except you can't perfectly the valid. Yeah. Or probably squeeze the teeth no. of a goat. No. But, but it, I think it's really symptomatic of of eighties BBC Two, especially yes. in that you were you were televising chess games and and things like that. That is very much sort of the nerd channel around sort of seven o'clock, isn't it? Also, mm. you have to look at the fact that it is very cheap to make. Yeah. So the they're, they're creating everything for you, and you're just giving them raw. Or, or later materials. on, it does become ambitious because we showed you the ones where they're up, uh, building igloos. Mm. Yeah, yeah, with the very um, scary igloo lady. Yeah, yes. and, and also filming on an oil rig at the end yeah. as well. Really? Yeah, yeah, that's so the they final have to get episode. Flown over yeah. by helicopter. Yeah. And, so um, it, uh, again, you you can see the series evolve from start mm. to finish, seventy nine to eighty six. Um, they're, they're certainly chucking some some money at it by the end. Mm. And by you know Heinz. In a very short period of time, it becomes a household name, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. But yeah, so what was it you said about his hair? He's, he's in got the first one. in the first one. It's very short. It's like his wife has sent him out to get a haircut because mm. he's going to be on the telly. Then slightly later on in that episode, I don't know if it's a little bit static or if he's just been playing with it too much. It's sticking up a little bit, isn't <laughs> like it? Like a pure mad professor. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. that's just excitement building, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So. And he has half rims. I love half rims. They're <laughs> fantastic. But yeah, he's it's he's got the sort of voice that you can just listen to as well. Yeah, it's very yeah. soothing and very, oh, he is very informative. Yeah. He could he could go through. Um, it's like listening at night to a radio program that's going to send you to sleep. But he could be reading a technical manual. Mm. And he would just find it entertaining and just soothing as you mm. go off to sleep. Yeah. But yeah, so great egg race. Mm -hmm. um, multiple episodes available for free. Yes. So go and seek them out. That's mm -hmm. all I can say. Yes. And we'll be back again later. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Good night. Many thanks for Warren for joining us. Yes, indeed. And I think he enjoyed. I think he did a load of great egg races. Yes, he was very alarmed by your uh, by my tool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the effect I was hoping to have. Yes. Right, Warren will be back later for mm -hmm. for a general chat about the BBC yeah. at the end. But let's move on to the next piece. Mm -hmm. There's Simon and Ken from the Exomos experiment. Join us to look at the Vicar of Dibley. The Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. 
Hello everyone, and a warm welcome to the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And we are once again invading round the archives with our ramblings. Today we're going to look at an episode of The Vicar of Dibley from the first series. Simon and I are on a mini recording session. We'd had this planned for quite a while, and we'd already picked what we were going to watch and what little things we wanted to do. As it happens, I am a big, big fan of The Archers. And yesterday, one of the longest-serving cast members, Edward Kelsey, died. He played Joe Grundy since the mid-80s. And he happens to be in an episode of The Vicar of Dibley. So it slightly changed what we were going to watch, but not very much. So we will get on to that shortly. Uh, for those of you not familiar with The Vicar of Dibley, it was a comedy series with Dawn French from the 1990s, centering around a female vicar in the fictional parish of Dibley, and all the concomitant hilarity that goes with having a female member of the clergy in the 1990s. It was quite good. It's one of those that I would dip in and out of. It was on. I always enjoyed it, but I, I didn't enjoy it enough to make a real special effort to watch yeah. it every time. I always liked Dawn French's portrayal in it. The, the Middle England attitude, how dare they send us a female vicar, always wound me up a little bit. Mm. And I know that it's supposed to be sending up that that attitude, but that the prevalence of that attitude in some in some of the characters, I just I just found grating. Having witnessed it firsthand in in your role as a female vicar, no, in Bamber Bridge, I, I was sort of peripheral member of um, a church. I was involved with various activities at a church, and they replaced a, a you know an old stalwart minister with a lesbian. And immediately, all this love and tolerance and all being God's creatures vanished out of the window and half of the congregation abandoned the church in outrage at this lesbian minister. I'm afraid my attitude would be well off you. No, 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 no. Well, it wasn't... Don't let the door smack on the ass on the way out. It spoke to me far more about the people that left than the people that stayed behind. See, I wasn't raised as a Christian, so this whole invisible friend thing kind of leaves me cold. I long, long since lapsed. This is my... I was raised a Catholic for what it's worth, and... I'd already made the decision by about seven or eight that it was... Uh, there were a lovely set of stories, but they're not for me. Uh, so the... Yeah, and, and particularly with recent events in Sri Lanka, I've just reaffirmed that uh, killing each other to prove how peaceful your imaginary friend is is not my sort of thing. So me and religion have never really got on terribly well. But that said, this is about the Vicar of Dibley, and I did quite like it. But again, it's from the same stable as... Four Weddings and a Funeral and the British rom-coms that we've had over the years. They're all the the um, from the Curtis, Elton, Atkinson stable and I do quite like yeah. it. So we will get on to that. The episode we're going to watch today is called The Window and the Weather and it's one of my favourites actually. Um, we'll get on to that in a sec. But first of all, uh, tonic screwdrivers at the ready. It's time for our gin review. <laughs> Today is another one of Simon's samplers, and what have we got for today? Today we have Porter's Tropical Old Tom Gin, which is apparently, according to the little card that they send out, a classical juniper base. I thought all gins had a juniper base, but a classical juniper base is lifted by tropical notes of passion fruit, guava, and white tea. Uh, Juicy tropical fruit notes are, um, are present. Floral honey, earthy juniper, and little warming citrus spice brings depth underneath. Apparently, they think it's a well-balanced, sophisticated gin with a hint of juicy freshness. 
Is that what you think? It's a somewhat floral description for a nice gin. I like it. It's not what I was expecting. You were expecting another gin ting. I was kind of expecting yeah. another gin ting from it's, that description. Um, it isn't. I hear the word tropical and I instantly think mango and passion fruit and pineapple. Um, I like it and it's one that I would happily go back to again and again. Is it a five? It's coasting very close to five tertiary. I'm going to have to give it a high four. We, we don't do half marks. You can't no. have half a Bernard. No. It, it'll have to have four Bernards. Yes, but it's a, they're a good four Bernards. Yeah, okay. I think it's bland. I, I think that there's so little that's positive in here, it'd be impossible to actively dislike. Um, the Series 11 of gins. <laughs> that's what you said about Doctor Who Series 11. Yeah, but it's then... Not, I, it's not positive enough to hate. But, but then I rewatched Rose and re, uh, Rosa and... And realised I was very, very wrong about that. <laughs> See what this podcast has done? It made me rewatch Rosa. Yes. <clears throat> See episode. It wasn't as traumatic no. as rewatching Threads, but for for those of you who are interested, uh, episode fourteen of our podcast looks at series eleven of Doctor Who. It's not overwhelmingly positive, but we do it in a constructive way. But back to the gin. Back to the gin too. Two. Yeah. Goodness me! Right. I'm, I'm not particularly impressed at all. You see, I like these sort of different gins. At least, see, I don't think this is different. I think this is bland. It it tastes like straight off the the shelf run of the mill gin. I the whole really? tropical notes and white tea and all this. Don't get any of it. Well, I'm not. I don't think that it's um, quite as exciting as the card would make out. But and it's I, not I as bad as the last tea-based uh, gin we tried. I must have mentioned this about 12 times now, but for anybody out there who's thinking about buying Mason's Yorkshire Gin, the tea edition, it's nowhere near as lovely in English as it sounds. It's awful. It's the only... Supermarket-owned brand is better. By a long way. but Yes, by a long way. That was a chore to drink. But no, I, I would go back to this, but... Um, gosh, four and two, that's quite, quite a split for us, that. I've no problem drinking it because... There's nothing sufficiently positive to dislike. Mm. Oh, but I, I, w- I wouldn't willingly go for it again. Supporters Tropical Gin. A very mixed review. Moving on. Our next regular segment is the Black Archive. This is where we go down into the basement underneath Maverick Studios and we pull out a lost bit of television that I am hoarding in my private collection and we release it back into public domain. What have you got for today? Oh, I'm going first. You're going first. Right, okay. I would like to bring back a... I was thinking about this and since we're doing a comedy programme, I'd like to bring back a lost comedy programme. And the one I'd like to bring back is a Terry Scott vehicle called the Gnomes of Dulwich. Right, you've got me on this. Um, What was that? None of it survives. It was a six-episode comedy from the late 60s with Terry Scott and a number of other people playing garden gnomes. It was apparently very, very entertaining. And I think that would just be fun to watch. Right. Um, Well, I, on the other hand, I'm going to go down a bit of a different route. It's... An episode of something I'm not even sure that actually exists. The documentation is there. It's a children's programme from the 1980s, Button Moon. And the very last episode, which was all sort of scripted and ready to go, I believe, and there are production notes for it, it's called Goodbye Button Moon, the very last episode, which it was certainly never transmitted, is whether it was actually made. And it all sort of brought it to a, a close. It's one that I don't actually know anything about, but I would be interested to see. I never really saw Button Moon. It was it was quite a bit after my yeah. time, and there are some kiddie stuff that I looked at as 
as an adult and really enjoyed. So we talked about the trapdoor. Yeah, I love oh, the trapdoor. The trapdoor is great. Yeah, Button Moon was just a little bit too kiddie kiddified for me. Well, by the time Button Moon came along, you would have been what thirteen. So yeah, a little bit outside your viewing schedules at the time. I grew up with it. I was. Um, was three or four when it started and by the time it finished my sister was watching and she was uh, a bit younger than I am so I've got very fond memories of Button Moon the theme tune of course sung by Peter Davison and Sandra Dickinson it's fluff and it's silly but I, I, I've got very fond memories on it so that's nice you're not going to make me watch an episode of it at some yes, point yes I am there's a somewhere in the archive there is a DVD with Button Moon on I've it, already it? sat through Thomas the Tank Engine which was awful it was not awful Thomas the Tank Engine particularly the very early ones when it was done in Shepparton were wonderful the, but you had to grow up with them I think it, the one that you, you chose it was a bit Edgar Allan Poe because they bricked him up behind a, uh, a wall <laughs> but still kept his head poking his eyes poking out so he could see what was going on um, but I, I, thought, I thought that was a bit extreme for kiddies telly to be they, they warmed him up mm, yeah when you... so he could see his friends going past and... yeah all good clean family fun walling up yeah. alive and yeah I suppose when you put it that way Shall we crack on? Shall we get closer to God? Uh, our full reaction to um, <laughs> to the the joys of Thomas the Tank Engine will be on our kids TV episode, which may already be out by the time this goes out. But and when it comes out, it will have a surprise guest slot from none other than around the archives. It will. We've done as a splendid piece on Pipkins. They have. It's fantastic. So we'll look kind forward of puts to ours to shame. It does, really. That was toward, towards the end of an evening after quite a bit of chin. And, the, and Andy and Lisa are far more structured about things than we are. We just sort of so, ramble with gin. We, uh, sober as well. So oh, no, they, we, they do a gin review oh, they do, as well. They, they, they have, yes. yes. You, you've got Especially for us, they brought gin in. Okay, once again, we are segueing. Shall we play the tape and let's see what, uh, see what we've got? So this is uh, Vicar of Dibley from 1990. It'll be mid-90s, 94, I think. And it's called The Window and the Weather. Okay, so that was The Window and the Weather from the first series of The Vicar of Dudley in 1994. Uh, I have seen this first series, certainly at the time, quite a few times. What did you think? I, I really quite enjoyed that. Um, there weren't a massive number of real laugh-out-loud mm. moments, but there were a few. Yeah. Um, I realised that I'm remembering it a little unfairly because this was, looking at this, the fourth episode of the first series. Yeah. Um, my recollection was that an awful lot of the humour was directed about the fact that there's a woman vicar and people in the village not coping with that terribly well. But actually, by the fourth episode, they've accepted completely the fact that she's a vi- uh, she's a woman. Um, From memory, um, I think it's only in this first series, it only plays a part. It's certainly a, a major factor in the very first episode. Mm. And it's sort of a driving point for the plot in the last episode of this series. Beyond that, it's never really, yeah, so never really crops up again. I, I, I'm remembering it unfairly. Yeah, there were a couple of laugh-out-loud bits. Um, nice bit, bit towards the end where she um, get, gets one over on the, um, the, the financial blokey. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that's 
leapt out at me at this is it's actually very well written. And again, Richard Curtis, who was a, a I think he wrote most of them, if not all of them. Mm. Well, what we haven't done is describe the plot. I suppose it would help viewers who haven't seen. Uh, yes, it's, as I say, it's set in the, the uh, little English village of St. Barnabas, and one night they have a well, colossal storm. Yeah, the parish of St. Barnabas, the vicar, yeah. The gin's kicking in, this uh, lovely gin that you don't like. Of Dibley, yes, it rips through Dibley, this storm, and a tree gets blown through the window of the church. Most of the episodes open with a parish council meeting in the church itself, and this is no different. So they all end up sat around discussing how they're going to raise the £11,000 they need to replace the window. Uh, Cue much hilarity. Uh, They have a raffle where they go around the village selling raffle tickets for a fiver for raffle prizes that don't actually exist. Uh, that, that bit was really quite funny. <laughs> and that was where Edward Kelsey pops up. Yeah. Joe Grundy's there in his garden. Uh, before the vicar rings round one of the rich parishioners' rich friends and fleeces him in quite a convivial way out of a further £10,000. And they replace the window. In the meantime, it's on the news that there's been earthquakes in Colombia and all these school children and uh, families have been left homeless. So they replace the stained glass window with just a plain glass window that gives them a lovely view of the sunset and they donate the rest of the money to the Orphan Appeal. And it's all very, very English and it's very homely and it's just comfort viewing. There's nothing offensive about it as such. Um, But again, another thing that leapt out was that a large number of the cast are dead. Well, I know you've pointed out that they they are They generally weren't weren't spring chickens in this and this is... 25 years ago. Roger Lloyd Pack, I mean, he wouldn't have, he's not, she died quite young. Emma Chambers, who was only 53 when she died, plays Alice the Verger. And a couple of the other ones, yes, Ferdus, they were well into their 80s, if not 90s. And Trevor Peacock, who is still alive, but he was diagnosed with dementia about 10 years ago. He's in his late 80s. But I haven't seen these for years, so it's just a, a bit of a shock when they were still all uh, alive and now watching it again, and they're, they're not. So. The perils of digging into the archives, unfortunately. So that was The Vicar of Dibley. I, I would reckon, to anybody that's not ever watched any, it's worth your time. If you like the whole Four Weddings and a Funeral style of comedy and British rom-coms and sitcoms, I think this will appeal to you. It's all very uh, homely stuff. It's entertaining. It, it is what it is. You know what you're going to get when you go, go in for it. Um... It's not a faulty towers or a dad's army, but it does the job. It does the job. Yeah, that's, that's our bottom line. It does the job. Yeah. And with that, we shall sign off and pass you back into the capable hands of Andy and Lisa for the rest of their podcast. We'll be invading at some other point, I'm sure, with our meaningful ramblings and a gin review or two. So thanks for listening, everyone. Goodbye now. Once again, thank you to Simon and Ken. Yes, indeed. And I understand they've got lots of other material in the bank. Yes. So we've definitely not heard the last of them. No, they've been busy boys. Yes, but as as always, check out their podcast, Mm -hmm. which is still going strong. It is. Great fun it is too. It is. Right, next, a little bit of a change. Mm -hmm. As two contributors who have never worked together before join Mm -hmm. forces. They do. As Andy and Martin yes. uh, team up to do a big piece. Yes, indeed. On All Creatures Great and Small. 
Hello, Martin. Hello, Andy. Hello. How are you this fine day? Well, uh, it's a bit foggy here, but uh, then again, that's quite appropriate. <laughs> it is, for the subject matter of what we're focusing on today, yeah. We are going to be watching, or talking about, what we have been watching, which is All Creatures Great and Small. And it's the last episode of the third series, and it's called Big Steps and Little Uns, which was written and directed by one Terence Dudley. Got lots of information there, straight off. I, I, are you on Wikipedia? <laughs> no, 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 I wrote, it, I wrote it down in my book. If, if I, I wrote, wrote it all down! This was April 1980. <laughs> oh, I, I think we should do it all in Yorkshire. <laughs> yes, just like Tristan did. Indeed. So, can I just have a bit of a chat about Terence Dudley before we get into the episode? You may. So, I've always been quite a Terence Dudley fan, which is kind of against the grain, or against um, received wisdom, particularly about Survivors, which he mm. produced. Um, I kind of like the fact in Series 2 that it got away from people in, in Land Dire Rovers peril. with guns. Mm. Yeah, and because I just think it was it was repetitive after a while. So I kind of liked Series 2 and the idyllic sort of trying to go back to nature stuff. Hmm. I mean, Series 3 went off the rails, but, um, oh, but yeah. You Terrence... do get blessed, don't you? You do get blessed in Series 3. You do, you do. <laughs> um, but I just think it's really interesting, this, this situation that they had in the early 80s, that um, Terence Dudley and all these other all-creatures writers were suddenly transferred onto Doctor Who because of the common factor being John Nathan Turner. Indeed. And uh, just how... They were perhaps wonderful at writing for All Creatures Great and Small, but perhaps not so good for writing for Doctor Who. Well, I yeah, discuss. I mean, they, 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 are, they are chalk and cheese, really, aren't they? I mean, that, that, that's kind of kind of the problem. Uh, I mean, you've mm. got the same with uh, Peter Moffat. You know, mm. he, he was very good at what he did, but it didn't quite fit with action, adventure, and, and effects stuff and everything like that. You know, I mean, I yeah. suppose one of the plus things is that at least he never he never sort of got his son to be on Doctor Who which is indeed <laughs> which yeah is... no we poor old Stephen bless he, his heart the ubiquitous Stephen uh, Dudley he, he had quite a lot to do didn't he I indeed, thought I was quite one. surprised yeah he's a bit older I mean I mean if you've seen him as, as a child in um, as a scary looking child in Doomwatch so he actually oh, right, he yeah, seems yeah. to have grown up in front of the cameras and it was almost like mm. whenever they needed a, a kid to play anybody uh, and he was drafted in. Oh, my my son is available. I don't. I, do, do we know what happened to him? Do we know? I do. I've met him. In fact, oh, right. I, I met him in two thousand and three when I did the Survivor Studio Day. I invited right. him for one of them. I don't remember which one it was. It was the second series, I think. We interviewed okay. him on camera, and he's a big chap now. Wow, <laughs> looked just like his dad. And um, but the weirdest thing, which I will share, um, because I don't think it's a secret, is. He came in and he was like, oh, I must tell you, Andy, straight away, the first thing, the most important thing is that, that my father's um, archive has all been burnt to the ground. It's all been destroyed, so you can't have anything. <laughs> so it was really weird. And it was, it was such an obvious lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, they mustn't play with matches, these children. <laughs> it was just, it was very strange because he knew I was writing the Survivor's book yeah. by then. And I think this was just a way of stopping me from getting at any of the juice. Right. Um, okay. With this big lie, but... There you go. No, that's that's, that's interesting. Terence Dudley's archive, which yeah. I believe still exists in, it's, in it's my kind of weird. So he, he he presumed he didn't grow up to be an adult actor, or, or did he? Did he? No, did I don't he? think so. No. It was just like you're here, son. Be in my film. Yeah. Aye. Get in shot, lad. <laughs> Aye. Aye. Talk about Thor's. <laughs> he shouldn't hit animals. It's beastly. Quite right. Does the Colonel's son 
Home from school for the holidays. This is Mr. Farnan. How do you do, sir? How do you do? Simon, is it? Yes, sir. Mr. Farnan is your father's vet. Yes, I know. He saved Jasper's life last year. Jasper? Oh, yes, I remember. Mr. Greer said he should be put down. But you saved him. Hmm. <laughs> Another Survivor's crossover, can I just quickly talk about? Indeed. Is the fact I, I cheered when the one of the problems with the... Was it a cow or a horse? I don't remember. It was brucellosis, mm -hmm. which is, it, it rears its ugly head in, in Survivors. No, and I, I'm aware of two animal diseases only in my life. They are brucellosis right. and clover bloat. Ah. And whenever I watch All Creatures Great and Small, I always shout... I'm always wittering on saying it's going to be clover bloat or it's going to be brucellosis. Flexum. So when it was So when it was brucellosis, I was like, Yay! Anyway. Uh, but no Flopbot. <laughs> no Flopbot. No, that's yeah. tricky woo, isn't it? Indeed. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feature in the episode we're talking about. I know. Yeah. Anyway, tell me, what were, your, what were your impressions of this episode? My impressions? Well, it's... Or, it's maybe it's, initially. Maybe initially, though, because you watched it back in the day, didn't you? I did watch it back in the day. I also watched... A, I mean, I was a bit of a... I, I, my sister was a, a fan of the books. And my sister is a big, uh, indeed is a big uh, fan of animals. Uh, so we, it was kind of, uh, we watched it on Sunday evenings uh, for many years. And uh, I even watched, the, I think they did some evening repeats a few years later. Mm. I, th I think I must have been about the age of the Falklands. When, you know, the Falklands, yeah. when the repeats were on, it must have been around that time. So actually this whole idea of going off to war and everything was actually resonating, you know, I mean, the, the actual, they were made a couple of years before that, but sure. I think there was repeats two or three years later. Mm. And uh, and funnily enough, the episode I thought this was <laughs> <laughs> isn't yeah. the one it is. There's there's oh. one I think in the episode where war is declared, which is a, set a few months earlier, and Siegfried and James go up a hill oh. to over overlook, and I think literally war was either being declared that morning or, and they were all just on this hill and they were talking about you know what was to become of. Uh, everything and everything like that and I just found that a terribly moving scene and then so <laughs> when I was saying oh yeah oh yeah, it was a really moving episode yeah well it really got me uh it turns out it was this one it wasn't this one I should say it wasn't this one <laughs> but interestingly it enough, wasn't the I, one you made me watch <laughs> but, but weirdly I did find this one moving in in different ways really I've never been I've never personally never been very good at farewells you know okay I mean some people can you know but I, I've always found them very difficult. I used to sort of, you know, the old wobbly lip, you know, the old wobbly yes. lip. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it, it was kind of because there was this this growing sense of imminent, you know, going off to war and departures and sure. everything like that. It actually it, it has some very big scenes in it, you know, from that Does. point of view. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are other reasons uh, why why that's even more moving when when you sort of look into it, but. But uh, I mean, uh, jumping ahead, <laughs> you get the scene where Siegfried is being terribly stoic. Yes. And you know, because everyone knows he's going in the morning, but doesn't want to see anybody and everything like that. And we, and then of course, dear old Carol. Let's not dwell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you could explain why we're not going to dwell on Carol. Well, it's, you can't it's, just say that. <laughs> it, it's it's it's. Well, basically, the, the, uh, it, it's not her finest hour, this episode. It really isn't. And Honestly, I, all my notes were about her. Yeah, anyway, They don't paint her in the, in the greatest light. So no. actually, the actual sympathy that you're supposed to be feeling... <laughs> you don't, because she's a total cow in this episode. Yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, which I'd forgotten. 
I mean, yeah. okay, you could you could argue that's you know clever script writing and people get say all sorts of weird things when they're in stressful situations, blah 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 blah. But I think she's she's written as a very negative character in this one. Yeah. Uh, especially yeah. as over the course of the three years, you've had this story arc uh, of you know of them meeting and all this kind of thing and building a family and living up in the cupboard in the attic or whatever it was they were. <laughs> <laughs> Or were they the borrowers? No, no. But they were they were sort of upstairs in the room, and it was all terribly yeah. trying to get their own house and all this kind of thing. And and it just and it just in this sort of you actually think because uh, uh, there's all this stuff about him going off to war, and he doesn't really have to because it's a reserved occupation. And yes, like indeed. And, and you kind of at the end of it, you're thinking, I bet he's just glad to be off. Germany invades Poland, so we declare war on Germany. Then a Pole comes here to be a vet, which is a reserved occupation, while you volunteer to go and fight his war for him. That's highly imaginative, that is. Well, it's not only his war, my dear, is it really? You see, this mendacious maniac simply can't be allowed to wander wherever the mood takes him. He's got to be stopped. His aim's world conquest, the death of democracy. Should we just do a synopsis of the episode so that people haven't seen it? So, um, shall I start? And you can, you can fill in the bits that I, I don't say. So okay. James and Siegfried are about to join the RAF, yeah? Um, yes. And... Sorry? Separately. They're <laughs> 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 not running off together. And um, the practice is visited by a Polish vet, a female Polish vet it called is. Dr. Rodzinska. Indeed. Who's trying to decide whether she's going to Indeed. go and stay with the practice um, after she's checked it out. And there's also lots of animal illness going on some involving Stephen Dudley some not <laughs> was that a good enough synopsis <laughs> what, what? that pretty much covers it yeah I'll, well I'll, I'll shut my book now I mean the interesting thing to me about the episode is you've got these three stories one of which is the yeah. going off to war but you've got the the the, the story of the dog and you've got the story yeah. of the horse and the fascinating thing to me is <laughs> the dog situation right i mean it comes right at the end and you oh he's gonna go the full dr chinnery isn't it <laughs> <laughs> totally well, it's amazing it doesn't die what have you got there then his black hole the poorly one the one i won't put him down you know uh, and this one the the uh, sleeping one by the fire whiskey my little angel, she is. My little princess. Yeah, it's like they've got it there. It's 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 in the basket, and you think, oh, what's I'm what's going to really fall on it? <laughs> Mark Mark Cattis is going to come in with a massive syringe <laughs> and booster jab, and of course that isn't isn't what happens. Which I mean, again, I'm spoiling the end here, but never. No, but when it does happen, it's so weird, isn't it? Do we? So it basically, is. this dog. It, it's the last thing that James Herriot is going to do his magic on before he goes away. And it is a sort of miracle magic mm-hmm. moment that's over in a second. I was like, what What just happened? And there's a, is it a dislocated yeah. shoulder? Uh, all that learning, <laughs> Vittnery. <what> it... <laughs> and there's a little click or whatever, and suddenly the dog's fine and bounding around. This needs a general anaesthetic and two of us. I can help. No, darling, we have to be Tris. I never get the poor dog in the car like this. Then Tristan will have to come up here. Yeah, to be fair, there's no phone. I've never done it before. It's all textbook stuff. Now, you lift the radius slowly up until the anconius is clear. All right, old boy, it's all right. Then you rotate the radius and the ulna inwards. James! 
Hey, you've mended him. It looks like it, Mr. Somerville, yes. Oh, that's grand. Isn't it all that, eh? I suppose if we go right back to the beginning, though. Do that, Martin, do that. Can you bring some sort of order to this chaos? Well, <laughs> well, I was just, I just really wanted to give a quick nod because I, I love the theme music. I, yes! I, I it really, it, it triggers something with me. Uh, Johnny Pearson, at his best. Yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. And, and what always fascinates me about the later series is how the, the title sequence, they mimic it. So they use the cars on the same roads, different cars, Right. They do the ha 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 ha, aren't we laughing in the car? <laughs> Which is slightly worrying. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, what happened? There wasn't a war, and we just sat in a different car, but we found the same joke really funny. <laughs> in exactly the same thing. And they go over the same little bridge, and it's all it's all yes. structured, so it's identical, but not, you know. Ah. There's a lot of people online who, who believe that the, the three series before the war are far superior to the ones afterwards, you know. I'm sure. And and they may have a point. Uh, tracking down the the Christmas uh, specials on the on the box set is a nightmare. I found out. I was wondering about that because I was thinking I might watch those, but that that box set is awful. There's no information on any of it as to what to put in. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so another plot thread is hmm. is Tristan qualifying finally as a vet. Indeed, after the three years. Tristan Farnan, MRCVS. Never. Don't take my word for it. Now I know we shall win the war. What? The age of miracles is not past. Well <laughs> done, little brother. Jolly well done. Do you think we might drop the little in future? Ah, oh, I'll give it a try. Well, this calls for a mammoth celebration tomorrow night. We'll, we'll talk about it when I get back. Now, the other thing that gets me about Tristan is because whenever he comes down the stairs, He's, he stands right next to that grandfather clock. Yeah. And I, I always just think, you know, what you need is someone to go, <laughs> of course. for some reason. I always yes. need that. I need that to happen. What I hadn't realised, because to share with the, the listeners, that mm. I was re-watching series one before you, you yes. kind of accelerated me to the end of series three. Yeah. Um, just to spoil it for you. I'm a spoiler. spoil it all for me. So I only ever do opening episodes and here I am doing the last one. <laughs> I didn't realise how much of all creatures great and small hinged on eavesdropping um, in the door of the vet's office oh, and listening yeah. to people on the phone. It's just mm. all the time. I mean, it's, it's just it's well, constant. yes. Well, again, of course, when you when you start to think about it all all the way these things are structured, you you start to realise you've got this whole um, it's this pre mobile phone thing. Yes, you know how plots totally. how plot, plots can't work the same way anymore. No. We were watching a few weeks ago um, The Fugitive, the Harrison Ford film. Yeah. And there's a whole scene where he escapes down the back stairs and you've got Tommy Lee Jones at the top of the stairs. And you think, well, all he needs to do is ring his... Oh, he can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> They'd lose 20 minutes of the film. We'd be caught in five exactly. minutes. Well, I think you'd lose all of the antics of all creatures great and small. All of it. Because it's well, all about... There's a lot of incredible eye-rolling. This is the yes. thing. And, and people pretending they're not there. <laughs> yes, constantly. You know. It reminded me more of Neighbours than anything else, or another. It's uh, another shitty Australian soap. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I was very addicted to Neighbours when I was first uh, unemployed back in the, back in the day. Oh well, so was I. I think everyone was. That was allowed. Well, I was watching it twice a day. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, can we talk about Doctor Rajinska? I feel you have things to say. 
Uh, well, the interesting thing that gets me about the, uh, I'll, 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 I'll quickly go through my notes, is this, yeah. it's this sense that, that they know she's, well, they know Ad Avet is coming. Yeah. And it's this whole, oh, woman, it's like Roger Moore, oh, woman, you know. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's it's just oh oh crikey she's a woman and and immediately you get the south and and it's interesting that uh, Mrs Hall is is kind of uh, sort of involved in this. Mm. You know, they don't want another woman around the place. You know, no. which, which when you've got Mrs Hall and the whole uh, Ted Malt thing going on anyway, <laughs> she doesn't want she doesn't want to really get married. She doesn't want to leave. <laughs> She doesn't want to leave her, her the people she's looking after. She feels needed and necessary here. But she doesn't want suddenly... anything. Honestly, Mrs. Hall is a dreadful old bag, isn't she? Honestly, ah. there's nothing lovable about her, unless you disagree. There are there are there are moments I think uh, throughout the series where where she shines. I mean, uh, do you do you know uh, the story of of uh, uh, why she's not in any after this episode? Yes, I know. This yeah. is kind of her last acting appearance, and she died a few months later. Yeah, and, and oh, oh, in in quite horrible circumstances. Oh, really? No, it I was, don't know uh, that. I think, I think she went for a double hip replacement and didn't survive the surgery. It was it was kind <gasps> of. And I think some somebody there was a lot of people who'd said, "Oh no, have the surgery, you'll be fine." <laughs> <gasps> Shit. You know? So it really, is actually she quite... really struggles to amble around this episode, doesn't she? That's right. Yeah, and 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 of course there's this whole um, this thing. Uh, I think in the first of the Christmas specials, you then have, they have the picture in the mm. frame. You know, to this is our tribute to, and and obviously then they find they go through various non replacements for a while, but uh, but it, no, she is no. I'm saying she is quite quite a quite a, a solid you know part of the quintet. Hmm. You know, yeah. of the main characters in many ways, she's sort of yeah. there. Is I mean, I, I keep going on now. Whenever, whenever I'm t writing about anything, I think you have the audience identified the chorus, hmm. if you like, and she very much is the reaction. Yes, the reaction character. But they again, when when her and Ellen are having a go at dear old Doctor uh, Rosinski, they're, yeah. they're 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 just thick as thieves and twice as horrible. <laughs> I know. You know. Yes, and of course, when when they get the phone call, to, when she says that she's not coming, it, it's it's like it's like they, they might as well have done cartwheels around the room. <laughs> yes, exactly. Putting the flags out. It's like yeah, we don't want another woman around here. We can get rid of them all. Yeah, but of course, the interesting thing about that is when you think about it, Second World War, all the blokes were buggering off. You know? Yeah, and and you would kind of think. <laughs> You know, so you can have a really hard time in Yorkshire, lass. <laughs> yeah. If all the blokes go off to war, there'll be the old guys, uh, obviously uh, young uh, Stephen Dudley, and, and that's about it. <laughs> and then you've got the the woman saying, um, she's not even likable because when she's asked whether she has um, milk and sugar, she says cream without sugar. I mean, who yeah. asks for cream? <laughs> Damn she it! Wouldn't, she wouldn't ask for cream. I was with Helen on that one. She's asking for cream. Don't you know there's a war on? <laughs> I remember I was um, interviewing a trainee um, library staff member many years ago and I asked whether they wanted a drink um, mm. as part of the, before we went for a tour of the facility. And I remember this kid, I always remember, he said, oh, could I have a hot chocolate? And I was thinking, well, you've not got the job. <laughs> Immediately. But I was reminded of that. Cream, please. Sod off. Anyway. <laughs> the other... The other... The other fascinating thing, although you might find, is how terribly, oh dear God, it's a woman, the blokes are as well. 
Yes, they you just know. can't get over it, can they? <laughs> Basically, Triss is anything with a pulse, quite frankly. He really is. But that's awful, isn't it, in a way? Because therefore, in, in, back in the day, you think, oh, he's Jack the Lad, and that's mm. okay, you pat him on the back, mm. go on, my son. But now it just feels really lechy and not, not okay. Yeah. It yeah. just feels grim. And when they're reading all the qualifications, it's just like, <laughs> she's got this, and she can do that, and my God, you know, she, but she's only a woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. Only and then, of course, Siegfried does his, his, his wonderful thinking it himself and then saying everybody, <laughs> accusing everybody else of it later. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which, of course, is just part of his wonderful character. Um, I did think it was a shame that she didn't get to do any vetting when she was no, up there. Cause no, they, they, I think they James had... talked about it, didn't he, that she was mm. good. But She went off sh- on the rounds with them, but yeah. they didn't. They didn't, and of course, when, when you think about the first series and how he is introduced to all the farmers and they all think yeah. he's some lanky streak or nothing, that would have been an interesting thing. You know, I mean, there was yeah. that line about her stripped to the waist with her hand up a cow or something. Yes. Uh, which which was, a, again, you know, just... You know, I know, yeah. Which was kind of... Which was kind of disturbing in its own way. I, w- I was briefly transported to a distant future in the 90s when... I used to be in love with um, Suzanne Burden, who played the vet in the 90s. I think it was just called The Vet. Did you ever see that drama series? Don't remember it, but ah, that yeah. doesn't mean... Um, it, was a... it, might, it might have been the era when I went out for the evening, you know. <laughs> it were a female vet in Yorkshire. Right. Actually, I don't know whether it was, but anyway, no, Suzanne no. Burden. But, but, but it needs to be written no. if it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they didn't have any female vets in Bloody Old Creatures Great and Small. No. Nope. Cheeky bastards. Um... What else have we not talked about? We haven't talked about the post office mistress. We must talk ah, about her. Well, I mean, again, uh, I mean, now we've got uh, Mr. S- is it Simmergill? Summergill. Summergill. That's it. Yeah. yeah. The, the man on a bike who doesn't like to say, <laughs> doesn't like telephones, but has a lovely beret. <laughs> yeah, he does. If we were doing Fond of a beret, no success, That beret would be in there, I'll tell you. That beret is a, has a starring role all on its own. Yeah. But uh, Charles West. Yeah. And, we, had to, uh, we had to rewind the bit where he talks about why he didn't talk, tell the postmistress what was wrong uh, with the cow. Because uh, it aborted, and it's a rude word. Yes. Yes, oh, absolutely. I, I couldn't cool. talk about that in front of a woman. But doesn't you he know. also call her not frigid? He calls her something like that, doesn't he? I can't. I can't remember the exact word, but it, it's. It's. I think. I think she. She has this. Uh, she, she's, I think basically she sits on that phone all day every day listening to everybody's little <laughs> peccadillos yes, she, she knows her. everything about the world and... she's definitely in the right place isn't she <laughs> I think she has a high old life there up on the hill Mr Harriet, it's Miss Thompson here postmistress at Hainby yes Miss Thompson I've got Mr Somergill here Mr Somergill from up at West Top yes it's his cow what's wrong with her I told you says what's wrong with her Tell him to come. He says, tell you to come. Let me talk to him. <laughs> he won't use the phone. He's too frightened of it. I'm not afeard on it. I, I don't hold with a damn thing. What's that? He says he doesn't hold with a thing. What's the snow like up there? Well, he's got here on his bike. Tell him I'll come as soon as I can. All right, goodbye. He says he'll come as soon as he can. Oh, hi. Right. Just a minute, just a minute. I'll be topless if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. And, of course, the other thing about that is, again, it's this whole world before telephones. You know, it re- it really does sort of beggar belief how anything got done, really. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know? I, I mean, I you look pick... at those yeah. those cars they're driving around. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you see that one where he's, try- he's trying to get the car out of that farm farmyard. 
and you mm. just think he needs a four wheel drive. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to um, announce my um, candidate in the best quote of the episode competition, okay. um, which was Siegfried talking about Hitler. That ah. monstrous middle European miscreant marching all over the Medoc. Ah, yes. The mendacious maniac I got yes. down here as well. Yes. yes he, he, he was alliterating like hell in that scene. He really was. Or, or at least Terence Dudley was. One of the two. Yes. And, make, and making all sorts of allusions to, to, the, to, to the the war will be alright as long as we've got claret. Yes. He couldn't be more upper middle class, could he? Oh, he's, he's just... But he is fabulous. There's, there's a lovely bit where, where they start going about you might not come back and he just a wonderful eye roll. Yes. It's just, it's just, and and uh, there are moments as well um, when when you can see him, him, him really auditioning for his Churchill. <laughs> yeah. Totally. You can just see it. There are moments where you think he's, he wants to be Churchill in something. You yeah. Know, so. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I think he he's the star of the episode, if not the entire thing. The entire. Well, uh, I, I, it, it isn't. Uh, yes, I, I mean, I, wasn't it actually? I mean, it was he, he was cast first, wasn't he? I mean, it was. It was. It, it, I don't know whether it was supposed to be a vehicle for him, because obviously, you know, it's all really about young, young Vittnery. But um, <laughs> sorry, no, I don't apologise. I like. No, it I really must stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Funny voices. That's what we need. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but originally, it was Anthony Hopkins in the Creature Script Small Film, wasn't it? Indeed, yeah. yeah. And, and Simon Simon West, Simon West, yeah. 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 Was it Simon Ward? Oh, Simon Ward. Sorry, not Simon yeah. West. Yeah. See, you can cut that bit out as well. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't but, uh, write that down. It's the wrong thing. I've not got yeah. notes for that one. But the best but, Siegfried scene is, I and mean, you're talking earlier about how he couldn't say goodbye. But it's the scene where. He pretends to fall asleep so he doesn't have oh, to say yeah. goodbye to James. And James leaves and says, has a little chat with Mrs. Hall. And she mm. says, don't worry, I'll wake him when he needs mm. to go. Mm. And as soon as the door closes, he opens his eyes and gets yeah. another drink. And you realise, oh, poor chap. We've seen the makeup of this man that he just can't no. bring himself to say goodbye. You know, it's, all, it's always, you know, jolly. And, 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 and the, the, I think they, they do that a lot with, with Siegfried, though. He, he, he doesn't play the... You know the negative stuff. You know you can't can't deal with the bad stuff really. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's a great character, and you know it, it, again that's that scene is a masterclass. You know it really is a masterclass. You know, but equally, it it's it's just very cleverly balanced. You know, and of course the whole thing about their friendship having having come together. You know, over this three years and how they've they've he, how he's sort of become part of the practice and everything like that and they've built that one the one that uh, he does about having built something here yes uh, that james does about having you know you know i mean it, it is i mean you know it is actually strangely moving yeah you know? and it is a sort of love letter to yorkshire as well isn't it i mean there's that there's that moment when james gets to say he has a real feeling of belonging and about the people they're blunt and down to earth but he he says he really loves them look i don't know about you but i think we've made a mark here made a home there's a real feeling of belonging you see we're both foreigners here really but we've been accepted by the people they're not demonstrative they're blunt down to earth no nonsense folk and I love them I really love them I don't suppose we'll ever be rich don't want to be much I just know that I couldn't be happier than I am now. Doing a worthwhile job among people I love in this wonderful country. That's 
why it's worth fighting for. And that's why we're going to win this war. As an end, you know, as a final episode that's sort of closing off a three-year series is actually beautifully crafted in that way, yeah. apart from some of the other stuff that yes, tends to some, throw it a bit off kilter. Weird stuff, yeah. So do you know who he waved to? Because I know about the trivia behind the scenes about who he waved to. Do you I know read about something about the the owners of the house or something, wasn't it? Yes, Olive and Charles Turner, who owned the house that they... Well, they, they only ever see the exterior of the house. Hmm. But they'd, um, yes, that's who he waves to in the village as he was yeah. going away. It is, it is, over the course of the three years, a very tardisy house as well. <laughs> they seem to suddenly find room to put as required. flat in that was never there. <laughs> yes. It does extend, you know. And yeah. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking about, and I yeah. don't know, I don't know if you you would noticed it. Maybe it's just the sound on my thing, but there was there was one of the the because um, a lot of the scenes were about the dinner table. So you have the you, I think you have three dinners in this one, or maybe you have two dinners in this one. I can't remember. But one of them, there's a just dog panting all the time. <laughs> really loudly. <laughs> yes, you <laughs> did notice. I like to think it was John Nathan Turner's dog because I know well, one of that was always on set. <laughs> Building up its part, love. Yes. <laughs> Darling. <laughs> I'm here. Um, oh, yeah. me. So, uh, I, the only other thing that I really had that was I thought was interesting was that I, I saw a, an outtake on YouTube which was filmed during this episode when Peter Davison and Christopher Timothy dress up as superheroes and it's a joke <laughs> about it being Bill Sellers on the phone saying, do they want to do a fourth series? <laughs> so, um, anyway, I will play that in now. Oh, good heavens, isn't somebody there? Oh. Bill Sellers on the phone, Siegfried. Wants to know if we'll do a fourth series. <laughs> Holy television producer, Siegfried. Super chaps, I'll tell you what. Fourth series, eh? I'll talk to him on the phone. While I'm doing that, you attack from behind. All right? Right. Let's go! <laughs> oh, I enjoyed that. It was very good. It was amazing. Oh, what, what, what witty gentlemen they are. No. Hey, lad. <laughs> Superman, we don't have him in right, this, these parts. Not round these parts. Nee. Uh, <laughs> nee, lad. Oh, lass. Um, I would like to ask you, where do you think All Creatures Great and Small sits in terms of, is it classic BBC One drama? Um, is it an important drama? What do you think? I, I, it's certainly, uh, it, 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 it's at the kind of end of that decade, isn't it, the, you know, the 70s, where they were, they, were, they were just coming one after the other. It's possibly the, I mean, it's interesting when you think about it, it kind of runs parallel with um, Blake Seven. <laughs> Yes. In terms of those first three seasons. Yes, you know, it's it does. Of, it, totally. It's kind of the same length of series. Yeah. And the same yeah. and the same sort of three years, more or less, you know. Yeah. And I presume the same budget as well. You know? No, indeed. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, there was a lot of stuff about Blake Seven not having... It needed more budget, but it got the same as Softly Softly or something. Yes, because yeah. it occupied that slot after Softly yeah. Softly. So, yeah, yeah. so, so... Uh, you know, and uh, but uh, of course, what the BBC does do very well is is period drama. I mean, you know, it, it, and and it, and and with the amount of location work, I mean, the fact that a lot, it's it's outside the home counties, 
Mm. You know, it's it's actually filming in Yorkshire. It's not it's not pretending. You know that that uh, Essex is, you know, Barnsley or whatever. You know, <laughs> it was filmed in Askrig. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, yes. and I, th- I think I think there's an awful lot of, um, you know, the, I mean, local accents, local talent. You know, mm. gets used. So, and it, so, so I think it's it's a very strong. I mean, it's possibly again. I'm trying to think. Again, Blake Seven aside, it's possibly the last of those evening dramas for a while that that filled that slot because. Sure. I seem to remember the early '80s went a bit away from it for a while. Uh-huh. I mean, I know. We've, I mean, obviously, Tenko came, but they were they were more midweek. It's that Sunday evening drama, isn't it? But presume it was on Sunday evening. Um, yeah, because yeah, Tenko started off on a Wednesday, yeah. I think, and yeah. I think it moved to Sunday ultimately yeah. once it proved itself. Yeah. And then, of course, it sat through. I mean, they they went for however many years it was, and then the only thing they could come up with was to do more of this. Yes. You know, uh, to fill that slot, and then of course you got the, the other vet series, you know, like one by one that came later. Yes. So, but so it's interesting. Ooh. It's interesting that they planned this was this was it. Three series. That's it. We're done. Hmm. Um, and there was no plans at all to come back, and it was just popular demand that brought it back. Um, yes, and of course you've got that thing also um, for most of the cast. Um, they went off, you know, to do other things. Although it's funny because Christopher Timothy's career didn't really take off in the same yes and then you can't argue that yeah because because of peter davison's phenomenal success in so many other things and yet still being able to come back to all creatures but christopher timothy was just maybe so associated with james Harriet that he just Mm. didn't have that or Mm. is it just about the fact that peter davison's such such a malleable actor that you know he does move between different parts and you do think well he's different and you you think of the parts more than you do of peter davison i think maybe is it he... is strange. How, how, well, I mean, if, certainly when you see how young he is, you know, in these these programs, yeah. you you forget how young he was really. When you know, because I mean, because yeah. he was twenty nine when he was announced as Doctor Who, wasn't he? Yeah. So so this must be what 25, 25, mm. 26, You know, and you know, can can you possibly pass as Robert Hardy's brother? <laughs> yes, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can do anything. I, I just want the paycheck. Yeah, please. Yeah, you know. But I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, because I mean, of of the cast, really, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't actually. I mean, in many ways, you wouldn't sort of pick him out as the one who was going to have the, the, the longevity of career. No. As as a, as a general sort of observation of of the main cast, if you if you're putting money on it, you wouldn't necessarily think he's the guy. You know. I mean, okay, uh, John Layden Turner may have had a lot to do with that, you know, because because he took took him and put him into something which sure. where he was from a supporting player to the main role. But certainly for a while, he was in everything. He, he was the um, oh, I can never remember her name, <laughs> Michelle Watson, <laughs> or, or Nick Nick Thingamajig, Nick Berry of his. Oh God, of his era, Nick you know, Berry. Where, where every time Nick... a plot came along, he goes, can, "Can we get Peter? Can we get Peter?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which leads me on, um, Nick Berry, well done. You've just come to where I was going to go to, which is... Ah, another is, Yorkshire drama. <laughs> is, is it the forerunner to Heartbeat? And can we therefore blame it for Heartbeat? <laughs> <laughs> Multitude of sins can be laid at the door of uh, yes. Mr James Herriot. God. Um, well, 
Because I, I have an I, aversion to this, the cosy Sunday night drama, which I think developed, because I think cosy and gentle suddenly became bland and dull and hideous. Um, I don't know what you felt, but I always like, wouldn't watch Monarch of the Glen and all that sort of stuff. And it's kind of that Sunday night drama which became so... Oh, just inane and it, it was. It was. It was trying to find something that was unchallenging. I yes. Mean, I mean, I've I've never done midwife. You know. Right. Never, never, never. Uh, I mean, you know, it's a bit. It's just not a, a thing I'm interested in. For about ten years, I didn't pretty much at that time on a Sunday evening didn't last the summer wine fill that kind of gap. That you was know, earlier, the, wasn't it? Yeah, but but it was in you know that that last ten years of yes. the last of the summer wine was that Gentle Sunday comedy. evening early yeah. or a bit of outdoors so we can do something else. Yeah, you know, gentle, i.e., not funny. Well, <laughs> harsh. Well, you know, I mean, let's hope the summer wine guys aren't listening. <laughs> you you could argue diminishing returns. <laughs> Indeed. I think we should try and curtail our thoughts on all creatures great and small, so it's not as long as the episode itself. <laughs> we could go on for hours. I tell you, we've got a spin-off coming in, <laughs> and we've started so, with letter A, so we can do an alphabet. <laughs> so shall I? Shall I start kick off with my closing thoughts, and then I'll pass I to you? I think you may. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much. Do, do I have? I do I have to remember the outfits? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what any of them were wearing. Well, we don't have a dress for success section. Don't worry, you're fine. Um, <laughs> So, um, I thought this episode was a bit all over the place. I think it had too many competing demands. And if it just concentrated on the going to war and the Polish vet and done a bit more with her, that it could have been very interesting and good. Um, And it was good, but it could have been very good. But if you just take those scenes in which James is talking about his love letter to Yorkshire and Siegfried congratulates Tristan for passing his exams and is unable to say goodbye before he joins the RAF, all of that was super good. But um, the little plot lines about the animals just irritated me because I was like, (laughs) I know it's what it's about. It's what people were watching for. They They want to see the cute doggy getting saved. And, you know, I mean, it's... It's it it, it it it's it's strange because all of those elements that that featured as sort of subplots, would in a mid-season episode would have probably been the major sort of strand. You know the 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 Polish vet coming and yeah. would have been a whole episode in themselves. There was a lot to round up, yeah, in one episode and maybe, you know, I mean I'm not one to criticise uh, poor Terence, you know, <laughs> but you do feel that maybe they threw one too many elements into the. The plot. I mean, you can understand why they did it, but actually, in many ways, the horse storyline wasn't necessary at all. Not at all. You know, Particularly I mean, when you got that that stable boy who was beating Alexander, that was irrelevant. Well, it was forgotten about, wasn't it? Totally, and he was that, only in one scene. That yeah, it was strange. just again. You almost get the impression that they, they were going to do either a feature length or a two parter. Yes, and and they'd sort of spliced it together. You know, maybe because of bad weather or whatever. You know. Or bad writing. But, uh, well, <laughs> well, I don't know. It, it almost feels like they were going to do fifteen, and they lost one. And you know, I mean, I know there were a lot of strikes in that era. So, you, yeah. but I mean, there's, there's not, no, there's no, no sort of mention anybody's ever made that 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 all creatures lost episodes. I mean, the seasons are thirteen, fourteen episodes. I mean, yeah. you know, they were they were always that. In fact, I think this one this one surprised me by being a fourteen. Well, yes, I thought it was, you know, because thirteen's more normal. I mean, that's Blake Seven. It's also survivors. It's also Secret Army, apart from the last series where there was going to be 14, but then they got rid of the last episode of Secret yeah. Army. Well, maybe they borrowed it off. <laughs> yes! They inherited it off Secret Army. <gasps> they might have done, because it's the following year. 
interconnectedness of <gasps> all things. You say. Oh wow! What have we uncovered? But if you were doing a, a an episode now, a, a you know a finale of a seven year run or a five year run or everything like that, in many ways the last episode is often tying together lots of plot strands and giving your main cast a lot to do. You know, because yeah. actually, apart from, I mean, it's wonderful when Tristram gets his qualification and it's and it's beautifully underplayed. But actually, in that episode, Peter Davison, apart from standing in that corridor, has very little to do. <laughs> You're right. So apart from Hen- fall, fall for that goggly-eyed girl who was, yeah. it was a but, Sandra but, Dickinson but hen- knockoff. Hence, hence, the, hence the Superman outfit. I imagine. Yes, I think he was spending time just doing that. I'm bored. <laughs> yes, he was, yes, he was doing that. That's how that came about. Of course. So but it is, thought, I mean, uh, yeah. that last scene where he stands in the street and he's looking at the sign and everything. I mean, again, you know, if you want to... I actually, I, for one second, I thought the very last close-up of the show was actually going to be Peter Davidson. <laughs> just for one... I, I, you know, I forgot because because the, they actually run the end credits over the... Um, yeah. Him in the taxi, uh, James in the taxi. Yeah, but, but I was also yeah. the last acting. If you're yes. in the episode, the last acting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm acting. <laughs> Sorry, but the other I'm thing not. that annoyed me about the ending was Carol Drinkwater again. Oh, out the she bloody said, window! She said, "I won't come downstairs." What? Your husband's going off to walk, and you're not going to go downstairs. But you oh, will camera. wave out the window to him like he's going off to the shops. What was that? <laughs> Very strange, and of course, again, you know, when when he is waving the people as he drives through the street, and again, you know, I, 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 I felt I feel moved by that. And, you know, Aww, I mean, to be fair, I, you know, I am, a, I'm an emotional soul, but, um, <laughs> but the, um, it's just, it's so foggy. Yes, we got to get these shots today. We can't yes. take them tomorrow. It is just so bloody foggy. And they also don't quite line up the taxi right with the waving. So, and you, the taxi's moving too fast for the people. Because they've obviously been filmed through, a, through a slower car. And it's just, it just doesn't quite work for me. I was really taken out of it by that. And I don't usually worry about that sort of thing, but I did. No. Um, I must just say it's really good that we had Christopher Timothy with his top off. I mean, because I thought, well, if again, we're doing creatures great and small. We have to do an episode. Have, where he's got it, his top it, off. It's it, you, it, it is a very much. This is the greatest hits episode. <laughs> yes. Although I was disappointed that his cat, his arm was not up the cow's backside. No, he said, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> you can have the angle, but you're not having the reverse. Exactly. <laughs> I'll stand in the cow shed with my shirt off <laughs> for the ladies. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> And, and and obviously the lady vet's not doing that. <laughs> no, at least only in Tristan's imagination. <laughs> That's one for the Christmas VT tape, probably. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, Martin, I've really enjoyed going back to 1980 and 1930s Darabee. Aye. Aye, right. Aye lad. Aye. And, and Ted Malt. Ted Malt. <laughs> Ted uh, Mrs. Mrs. Arl. Mrs. Arl. Not, not having to drop his feather in front of glass. No. No, lad. Bye, Eklad, no. No. Um, Sorry, I was quite surprised to see Ted Malt walk out of that stable. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell, he just double glazed it. <laughs> okay. Mm. Until we meet again. Indeed. Well, like I say, all creatures great and small begins with A. We can do letter B. <gasps> That's a really good idea. Andy and Martin's A to Z of TV. <laughs>
Love it! <laughs> well, I just think we've now, we now at least now ruined the end of series three for everybody. Yes. But there are four more series. Well done us. the uh, Callum Buchanan. Oh, yes. An interesting introduction. And right. a couple of Christmas specials. So, so you know, we've we've kind of ruined the first half. Yeah. <laughs> but go and hoover up the rest now and you get a bit of Linda Bellingham in for your ah. money as well. So, well Indeed. It's another one of those massive box sets that, uh, you know, takes some trawling through, but I think it's worth the journey. Yeah. Okay. Cheers then. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Many thanks to Martin and to Andy. Yes, that's a um, very huge article. <laughs> but I think they've worked really well together. Yes. And I'm glad we were yes. able to facilitate their, their meeting yes, um, over the waves. And that might not be the last you hear from them. I, I hope they can do more like that. Mm. Indeed. Now, uh, Paul and Nick mm. have a look at a Screen 2 production, which is... Hotel du Lac. My dearest David, a cold coming I had of it. Penelope drove me to the airport as if escorting some prisoner to the maximum security wing. I shall be allowed back eventually to resume my peaceable existence. But for the time being, I must serve out my exile in this decorous hotel, which now, at the very end of the season, exudes an air of deadly calm. Hello, round the archives, people. It's me, Paul. Paul Chandler, Paul Shagetti, whatever you want to call me. I'm here with Nick. Hello. Hello, Nick Goodman. Um... <laughs> so like I said, hello, Nick Goodman. <laughs> we, we only ever respond to each other as... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hello, Paul Chandler. Yeah. Would you like a cup of tea, Paul Chandler? <laughs> yes, thank you, Paul Chandler. <laughs> um, so, yes, we're, we're um, skating the, the sort of boundaries of, of what, what we are allowed to discuss on Round the Archives. By This time we're talking about a film, and we're going to do it in a way that we do when we watch like a TV programme we're going to sort of pause halfway through and then Is it made for TV? Well that's why we're allowed to do it because it's actually um, an episode of the BBC Screen 2 series so although it's it's only about 75 minutes it um, Effectively it's like a play for today I guess It is except that it's filmed in in a beautiful location Mm -hmm. uh, with a a really good cast What we are talking about is um, Hotel du Lac Um, It's uh, the television version of a a Booker Prize winning novel by Anita Bruckner Uh, It's got a really good cast uh, Anna Massey, Denham Elliott um, Music by Carl Davis So the synopsis sort of of Hotel de Lac is a romance novelist who is staying in a Swiss hotel, meets other English visitors, um, including Mrs Pusey, Mrs Pusey's daughter Jennifer, and an attractive middle-aged man, Mr Neville. But then you kind of get flashbacks, and I won't say any, any more now. We'll, we'll come back halfway through and see see what you think, because I'm sure you'll be recognising um, all, the, all the actors. Um, it was aired on the 2nd of March, 1986, um, Oh, I, re- I remember that day. I had a good snowball fight. <laughs> uh, yeah, snowing. I, I have a feeling that somebody sent me the Radio Times clipping of when yeah. it was shown, and it was shown sort of like at ten o'clock at night, which I Blimey. think it's a Sunday. It's on a Sunday. Yes, on a Sunday. I, I, I was thinking ten o'clock on BBC Two. 
um, on a Sunday night. That's you're not selling it to people. Yeah. How many people? You know, you wouldn't necessarily have had vid- not that many people would have had video recorders in '86. Bad scheduling, bad scheduling. Yeah. But there we go. But yes. Um, uh, but I, so I, I watched I watched this the other day, and I thought. Yes, I want to share this with around the archives. Uh, it's a bit bit different from what you and I have done before, and I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. If if only you know as much for the the actors as the story. So, yeah. let's get started, and we'll talk again. We'll we'll be back. We'll be back. We'll be back. Here we go. I can't help thinking one ought to be at home at this slowly darkening time of the year. And so I would be had I not committed that apparently dreadful crime. So Nick, uh, we're kind of. A little bit over halfway. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think? Um, it's a, it's a, as I say, it's very different fare for us. Uh, you know, it's beautifully made. Um, I, amazing cast. Uh, there's a scene uh, where Delamelia just sat with Alamassi, and I think I might have seen it mm. uh, because it's almost identical to. So I wrote a life after story, uh, when, which I envisaged. There's a Colonel character in it, which I envisaged playing by Delamelliot, mm-hmm. and the planet on it is just like Switzerland. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of very hilly, and so I'm, I'm I'm wondering if I might have caught a glimpse of it. I don't think I saw it all, but mm-hmm. um, certainly that bit with Delamelliot um, strike rings a bell. It's more than just a coincidence. Um, it's very nicely made. Um, we've got. Science fiction fans, I'm unsure. Um, there's Je- Jeffrey Wickham from the Fifth Sapphire and Steel story, um, and Anna Massey looking very nice. She was a she, she was a good-looking woman. I, 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 one forgets Julie McKenzie looking gorgeous. <laughs> I, you know, I, um, I've already said on the podcast that I like Julie McKenzie. She, yes, she really is looking pretty. I don't think she's uttered a single line yet. No, it's in the commentary, uh, it kind of they were saying how grateful they were because the part didn't have many. Uh, it, it was all supposed. It was all yeah. sort of physical acting and That's sort right. of little giggles and things. Yeah. And they were so pleased. And that she pulls it off really well because I mean she she was quite she was a very established actress. Yeah, and they said that they were really pleased that they got that she was willing to go all the way over there for that role and I think equally so Irene Handel I think they would yes. this something they were hoping to maybe find a way of doing it yeah. so she didn't have to travel and she <laughs> made it quite clear that she wanted to travel how you miss um, act, actors like Irene Handel and, and um, Julia and, and, and Anna Massey and Denver they really give it gravitas because um, I think one of the reasons I like it is is that it appeals to my in the nicest possible way, voyeuristic sort of what you know, city cities are a watching character, people yeah. people watching. Yeah, people watching. Um, I, I, people watching is a great thing. I mean, I, I even you know, going back to the video that we I bought this morning, I I, I encountered a complete stranger and kind of it was sort of we were sizing each other up a bit, you know, as yeah. a sort of I, I tried to envisage in my head a picture of. Well, the kind of person that she might she was exactly what the um, animatis character does yeah and she's come to switzerland because we don't want to give the plot away um but she she's um sort of been disgraced in her peer group um and they sort of said well you know, just go away for a, few, uh, for a long holiday and when you come back people yeah. have, would have forgotten about it i have to say um with with respect to that i um the continuity, the chronolo- chronology of it is a, a, is a wee bit difficult to follow. Some you know, in terms it took me of a while. Well, it took me a while because it's very 
it, it's not. I don't yeah. know how you should. I don't know how be, how best to do it because if you have, if you you know have a little tinkling yeah. sort of dream sequence or you have a, but there, there must be ways of doing. And I think the first time I watched, I was like. Okay, so this I'm is not, yeah, they're back I mean, in London. This must be a flashback. Um, I wasn't entirely sure we'd gone back. I, I yeah, didn't realise we'd gone back. The flashbacks are um, once you realise the character, so the, like the Barry Foster character yeah. is only in the flashbacks, and um, yeah. and and that that the whole London stuff is all flashback. It's fine, but it did, it took me a moment or two to kind of go. Why is she standing on a rooftop? That's not Switzerland. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, but, but again, I was great to see Barry Foster, yeah. uh, who is also a great actor. So far, his characters confused me a little bit, um, but uh, no doubt that'll it'll sort of glue together. But it's a it's a very very nice production. I say, I don't want that man round me anymore. Would you mind awfully coming and sitting with me? Not with Elmar Pusey today, then. I didn't feel quite up to her this early in the morning. I can't stand the sight of her myself. Of course, Sunday's the one day they can't swan around buying knickers. Oh, I do beg your pardon. Lingerie. Not that I put it past her to bang up some wretched little shopkeeper on a Sunday simply because she happened to have a spare few thousand francs. I do seem to do a great deal of shopping. Aren't you supposed to be a writer? And aren't writers supposed to be good at observing human nature? I only ask because you sometimes strike me as being a bit thick. I'm sorry. And I've started reading the novel, which... which a lot of Anita Bookmans, I, I decided I'd probably read a few of hers, and they're they're quite um, inexpensive, and they're quite most of them are only about two hundred and something pages, so they're quite quick to get through. And I started reading Hotel Delac, yeah. and um, the whole first scene where she's sitting, yeah. sort of sizing up the, the 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 characters and wondering who they yeah. are. Um, the little monologue you hear—that's almost word for word. Mm. I think uh, when I, again when I listened to the commentary, the the producer sort of said it was you know the book was so. It, you didn't need to change that much. It was it was sort of so easy to you know. To what going back to Irene Handel, though, um, what's very clever is she's she's playing. Uh, there, there's comedy in her um, character, <laughs> yeah. but yet she's playing it dead straight. Uh, she's not. She's almost a tragic character. Well, she is a yeah, tragic yeah. character. Uh, and she's been left. She, she's quite rich, but she's been left. By her, her sort of children have taken over her, her nice house, and yeah. she's sort of stuck in this hotel. And she's kind of, she's not having to reach for it. She's, mm. you know, she's, uh, it, she's, she is that great. Yeah, and then the sort of the resentment about everybody else having a good time, and it, it really, I mean, she, I think this was one of her final mm. roles. She actually died the following year, um, but amazing. There's, like, a great, there's a great scene where she's. Eating spaghetti and it's just hanging out of her yeah, mouth. Yeah, exactly. And she, and she gets a pair of nail scissors yeah. and tr- trims trims the, uh, yeah. the spaghetti. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's, you know, it's totally. You know, it, she's not. She's not actually playing it for laugh. She's, no, but know, it, just, it, it makes you laugh. Very clever performance. Yeah. Um, a very different different kind of thing for her. You know, you you would have thought. You know, I don't know who. When you when you picked up the script, you would you would. Yeah, I mean, there was plenty of grand dame actresses still around there mm-hmm. uh, in those days, um, but you wouldn't have autom- you may not have a- automatically thought of Irene Handel when you opened the script. Um, but uh, that was, so that was a nice cast against type, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nice to see her in a straight role, mm-hmm. uh, well, which, which has humour in it. Yeah. Well, let's uh, go on to the last 
bit of the film and then we'll we'll sum up at the end. It is, yeah. It's, 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 Women, obviously mother and daughter, say late fifties and mid twenties, very grand and self-assured. I told Jennifer to ask you to join us. I can't bear to see anyone on their own. Oh well, I. I said to Jennifer, she has such sad eyes. I said. <laughs> Is this your first visit to the hotel? It is, yes. Oh, I've been coming here every year for I don't know how long, haven't we, my darling? We're absolutely devoted to the... Well, we've reached the end. Um, and what did you think? Oh, very... Sorry, I'm quite tired. Um, very enjoyable. Um, lovely little production. Beautifully shot. Um, well, you were saying, you were commenting on the weather, weren't you? Yeah. It just totally pitch perfect. I, I wondered whether they all oh, they saw it was a foggy day coming up, so yeah. they deliberately waited to film the more sort of somber yeah. scenes at the end. And or a soft focus. Whether it was a, whether it was a, a lucky instance. Yeah, lo- lo- lovely, lovely sort of scenes of soft mm. focus, and it, yeah, it's just. Um, but I forgot to mention Patricia Hodge playing yeah. a wonderfully obnoxious character. <laughs> um, she, she's just pitch perfect in those sort of roles. Um, I have to say, I'm, we won't comment about the end, obviously, mm. if you want to go and see it, but I have to say, um, when, <laughs> at the end, I, I kind of think Animatis' character was going to do something, and, and I just thought, no! And, um, but then yeah. She, but then she undid it. And then she, she undid yeah. it in the last few Yes, years, exactly. So. Uh, that's all we're going to say. Although, who knows whether that will lead to. I don't exactly. Think either way, it was exactly ideal. No, I, I mean, she, she was a woman who didn't really know kind of where her life was where, going. Where her life was going, what to do, whether to. And a successful Take woman. a lover, take, yeah. to, uh, be, get married, you know, and, and, and that's what life is all good. about, really, isn't it? It was good because she was a successful, uh, successful novelist. Yeah. Um, she was a successful. Um, Woman, but she and she made a nice, uh, piercing observation about um, prospecting women. You know, who only kind of go after with blokes with wealth. And she said that you know that's much more of a a, a far more worth. They're dishonourable and far more worthy target than uh, for feminists. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's perfectly true, really. I mean, you know, um, they you know they 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 should have more self respect, but. But there you go, you know, it's, and um, again, Massey, Elliot, I mean, all classy stuff, you know, it's, uh, they, they, they know a thing, they knew a thing or two, but that's the thing, you know, I think um, of the main supporting cast, I think we've only, we've, we've only got Julia McKenzie and Jeffrey, dear old Jeffrey Cater, who, who frightfully, frightfully, um, man from the ministry, turns up and everything, um, he's nearly a hundred. I think he's actually he's actually still alive. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the, the, everybody else is gone. Yes, and they never called me mother. <laughs> it makes me want to go and yeah, sit by uh, sit in a posh hotel. Yes. <laughs> two two observations about Carl Davis um, uh, is the, is um, score. Mm. Um, there were several times I thought he was going to break into the Deer Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there was a couple of times I thought he was going to break into sort of incidental music of Davidson Doctor Who. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing was um, there's a scene leading to a wedding. I won't say what's going to happen mm-hmm. in it, 
But um, as the car goes away, uh, there's a sort of triumphant theme, and he there are strains of one of my favourite pieces of music, Zadok the Priest, mm. uh, which is the, the the gradual one, the the coronation one that goes on 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 on, which I actually is on my it's on my phone. I use it as mm. a, a wake up alarm, mm. and very effective it is too because it builds and builds and builds. And builds. Um, but yeah, I, I know that was quite clever the way they reference that. But yeah, I mean, Julie McKenzie. I think we were saying, you know, it's uh, it's amazing. You know, she's a very very established actress by then, and uh, she there, there she is playing a, playing this kind of a former rather silly daughter who uh, who kind of. Um, there's only one scene because she's always all over her mother and everything. But there's one scene where she's turned into a big drama, um, uh, where where actually she, she's sort of. You know, she probably had a, a, what was going to be a quite fun moment spoilt by her mother's overreaction to yeah. the fact that they live in each other's pockets. Yes. A ghast, ghastly existence, actually. I, I, you know, I, I, I love my mum a bit, but I couldn't have lived, you know, lived in her shadow and she wouldn't have wanted it. Yeah. So, um, but no, but, um, very neat little yeah. story. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking how little vice there is around these days. You should get rid of that cardigan. Whoever told you you looked like Virginia Woolf did you a great disservice. As to buy plenty around if you know where to look. Obviously I don't. I certainly never find any. You don't try hard enough. Anyway, didn't we say we were going to change all that? If all it involves is giving away my cardigan, I feel I should tell you I have another one at home. I suppose I could give that away as well, but I feel I'm too spiritless for radical gestures just not fascinating no one sees that I'm glad that I'm glad you enjoyed it yeah it was good I mean it was it was very much you know if it hadn't been adapted from a book um, it could almost have been a, a very posh mm. play uh, play for today mm-hmm. um, you know because you know that sort of you know and you get that caliber cast yeah. but obviously mm. you, the production values are <laughs> as far in advance and most play for today is yeah, yeah. um, but no it was good good and well thank you very much for watching with me and thank you listeners for listening to Nick and I uh, discuss Hotel Delac and we'll pass you back now to Andrew and Lisa the BBC Studios the BBC Studios <laughs> <laughs> and the message is coming home no sorry that's wrong just put Returning. Thank you to Paul and Nick yes. for doing that. Yes, indeed. And Paul is already planning Ahead. the next piece. Yes, I've, and, se- I've seen a list. Yeah, and the one after that, and the one after that. Yeah, oh, yeah. everybody's getting organised. Oh yeah, putting except us, us, putting us to shame. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we just sort of make it up as we go along. Indeed. And to prove that, mm-hmm. as as we said, Warren will now join us for a general chat about the BBC. Mm-hmm. And then that's that'll be the end of the episode. It will. But we'll say thank you yes. at the end of the piece. Yes. So here we go. Hello, Warren. 
Um, good evening, uh, Andrew. Good evening, Andrew. Just just an extra piece at the Hello, end. I, no, I know you like an extra piece. Uh, like a large portion at the you end. Do. Uh, I just thought we'd like to, as this has been a BBC special. Yes. <laughs> what has the BBC ever done for us? So. Well, it got us together to start with. Yeah. Because of Doctor Who. Yeah. So. That's true. We're all yeah. sitting on the sofa because of the BBC. Yes, because of Doctor Who. Warren? Mm. They've, they've all so made... you were su- what were you sucking on there, I Warren? I was sucking on the end of me, um, yeah. Of your spectacles. My spectacles, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it's given, a fantastic, given us a fantastic childhood. Yeah. Yeah. It's given us an imagination. Mm-hmm. It's given us the ability, in some cases, to take that imagination and put it onto paper for other people to appreciate. Okay, that's good. Mm-hmm. It's given us bankruptcy. <laughs> you what, sorry? Bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. Oh, Because of all the DVDs. If I buy any more DVDs, and if I keep moving home, all my boxes are full of DVDs now. That's <laughs> yeah. all I ever seem to move, and I've got three large cupboards full of DVDs how, at the moment. How much money do you think between us we've spent on the BBC? Probably I, enough to put a good deposit on a house. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've estimated I've got just under about... Probably about sixteen thousand pounds worth of DVDs. Yeah, wow. And other merchandise. It's it's easy that. But yourselves, yeah. you have your own archive. <laughs> you have the most amazing archive there is. Well, it's still not complete. No. There's still there's still. Well, that's the thing. There's still a lot of BBC stuff we don't have. Absolutely, and and we keep discovering new programs. Yeah. And um, may I ask you? Do you ever say, "There's not. I've got nothing to watch." Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you take so long to decide what to watch by the time you've decided there's no time to watch it. Yeah. Or yeah. you can't remember where you put that particular DVD. Oh, we were always doing that. Yeah. Always doing that. So, the BBC yeah. it is a core of our understanding. It is something that we have grown up with. Okay, we've grown up with ITV, and then we've had bolt-ons like your Channel 4s, your Channel 5s, your satellites, and taking taking that out of context, international television, if you like, because... Uh, BBC is truly international because you look at what happened in the 70s, uh, oh, sorry, in, the, in the, the 50s and 60s, we start bringing Eurovision to this yeah. country. Yeah. Then Je Chantons Frontières in the 70s. So it does widen your aspect of other television companies, but you always come back to what you're happy with and what is your um, core. And the BBC is your core, isn't mm. it? Was Television core. Centre... An important symbol for the BBC, do you think? Now that it, it is no more. I mean, it is there now, yeah. but not in quite the same capacity. Because I remember as a kid watching things like Blue Peter or Swap Shop, where they'd tour around BBC Television Centre and see what else was in studio that day. And I find that fascinating. That It really was a, a place of magic, wasn't it? That, Okay, then, if I showed you two pictures now, yeah, one being Alexandra Palace, yeah, and one being BBC Television Centre, yeah, which one screams BBC to you? TV Centre for me, still. Mm. Do you yeah. think that's a generational thing? Well, I think it is, yeah. Yes, yeah, probably. Because yeah. I think we take Lime Grove out of that. People will go, well, what about Lime Grove and Ealing? Mm. Well, Ealing had a separate life, and so did Lime Grove in, in their previous occupations. And it's not... They're not big iconic buildings associated with the BBC. But I, I you know, I remember things like record breakers, the, the tap dancing, the tap dancing yeah. around yeah. the fountain, and things like that. 
and of course you, you'd you'd get the the blue peter garden as well um you know with percy thrower and 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 the, the statue just vandals you know and, and the statue of petra and all yes. of that it, it, you know it was more than just a a place where programs were made it did feel like it was itself a star of, of shows sometimes very much so i mean you, you have things like python always seem to um satirize the organization yeah. itself that it was entirely reliant upon putting it on its screens yeah because there's even that clip from square world where, where it gets launched into space yes and you can see steptoe with, with, with the horse and car yeah and and to me i i love this idea that it was all part of a, of a whole that you know you could actually go there did you ever go there um no uh, yes no i did i did when i worked in london i did a delivery there all right yeah um i did a delivery there and we i delivered some double glazed units but we went on the outer ring road inside yeah. never went anywhere inside the building yeah even then you know you're driving around the back of studios and it's yeah. fascinating what about you lisa no, no no i never got to go to the because i mean we, we'd go past it uh, on the on the tr on the train, but mm -hmm. that, that's about it. Now, I, you know, but but lots lots of people did go and visit. Sort of, you know, Doctor Who fans especially mm. did did go and visit sort of studio recordings. So BBC departments, what what do they mean to you? Radiophonic workshop, special effects, costume design. It's gonna be a bang. <laughs> That's the first thing I think of when I think of special effects. Michael yeah. John Harris <laughs> making something blow up. Yeah, yeah. quite sort of pathetically yeah <laughs> somebody in the background going Whoa! <laughs> but that's the thing you see all these names go up at the end of, of bbc programs in the days that you could actually read the I credits don't go too fast and to us they're all real people aren't mm. they or all, all, all sort of people that work at the beeb yeah. and you've got a little image in your head of all of these people haven't you like you know if i said douglas canfield something it you, you, there's an image in your head straight away, you know. Um, Ray Cusick, as you said, Michael John Harris, Clive Doig. Yes. You know, Elwyn Jones. I mean, yeah. you, you've discovered a lot of Elwyn Jones stuff recently, yes. haven't you, yeah. Warren? You've been sort of working. And once upon a time, that was just a name on the on the opening credits of the Highlanders, to yeah. you, wasn't it? It didn't Absolutely. mean. Absolutely. So then you find out he did softly, softly, and yeah. he yeah. did. And where that spawned off. Things yeah. and, and where it spawned off from there. And I, I, I said to you about credits, Lisa, that I, mm. I think it, it is true that an organisation demonstrates what it thinks of its em employees by how much it gives them credit at the end of something. Mm. And if you can't read the end credits, I always think that's a bit insulting. So, yeah, I, I, li I like credits. I think the BBC personifies the fact that you can have a world within the world. Mm. The world doesn't need to be contained on a different planet. Yeah. Uh, the BBC Television Centre is a world away from reality because it creates make-believe. Yeah. So, therefore, you have got a world within a world. And within that world is another world. So, the BBC is immortal to a certain extent. And... Um, it's entirely within the imagination of the person watching this box in the corner to be able to reach out and go, do you know what, I'm being part of this world that's not reality, yeah. but I'm happy to watch something that is within something else. So it's a box within a box within a box within a box. Lots mm, of boxes. <laughs> I should say also a thank you to BBC services that I think most people 
aren't even aware exist because yes. yeah. so much of around the archives mm-hmm. is done with information that is searchable from places like bbc genome yeah and they don't yeah. have to do this no b- but no. i can look up any day and date and year mm-hmm. and find out what the schedule was mm-hmm. for, for that, that for that night yeah. and, and that gives me such a perspective on where shows fit in in the wider wider scheme of things mm-hmm. i mean we accessed BBC archives yes. to do all the great egg race stuff. We did, yeah. But it's yeah. Hi- it's hidden away, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Who other than yourselves do you think uses that? As a uh, other than a um, particular group of people uses that, would you say? I I, I bet if you talk to mo- most people, I don't know what it is. They wouldn't yeah. even know. No, yeah, no. Because yeah. I've seen people arguing about these services, and just people just don't know. <laughs> and and it's um, it's quite a compliment to the BBC for them to be bold enough to put that out as well because they know it's going to be only a niche isn't it well i i think honestly there might be a lack of knowledge of the bbc's own history Mm -hmm. at sort of management management level these days and that does worry me that people who work for the bbc don't know its history and you can't argue in favor of something uh, if you don't know its history, can you? Yeah, Russell T. Davis, director uh, um, yeah. general. Yeah, so he knows. You know, it's interesting that you know Doctor Who fans g- grew up and eventually worked on the show, but is that true in a wider sense at the BBC? How many people working high up at the BBC are fans of the BBC? You know, is is it just a job for them? Or, you know, if if we said the gnomes of Dulwich to them, mm. would they even have heard of it? That's yeah. the thing. And I, I, I do wonder about that. So I, I would say to the BBC, learn more about your history and promote it more. Yes, I'm afraid they fall into the corporate mm. um, the corporate envelope a lot, don't they? Yeah, because, I mean, Dennis Potter, for example, was a huge fan of television. Yes. And you want... He pe- knew how it works. And you yeah. want people arguing in favour of the BBC who are huge fans of television and the BBC itself and you know if we can occasionally educate people about the the BBC's own history I'd love for like around the archives to be like sort of on a BBC training course you know (laughs) go away and listen to listen to this and learn a bit about your own history and this is how much the organisation can um, trigger passions within people Mm. because you know we we, you know we we said how big an an influence the BBC has, has been on, on us. And I, I don't think a lot of people just realise how much it has been, because their, their lives would have been very different. It's part of their cultural society, isn't mm. it? Part of cultural society. And it's... Uh, and it, it's um, I think you go back to the late 20s, when we had the um, early 30s beginning of the BBC radio. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't go that... We we know very little about that. That's very, very little the, the, the wireless service has spoken about. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we could go on about BBC radio comedy for ages. Mm. That's the thing. And also, I think the existence of the BBC makes ITV be better. Yeah. It makes it think, well, we need to do better quality dramas. Not so much the light entertainment, but they need to make sure their dramas are as good as the BBC's and Sky's yeah. to a certain extent. If the BBC wasn't there, they wouldn't have to try so hard. Yeah, that's true. 
Okay, well, thank you for that. I mean, anything else you want to say? Well, I, I would quite happily pay the licence fee for Doctor and the Clang as well. <laughs> I was about to say, are we, are we falling into a not the nine o'clock news sketch here? <laughs> I would quite happily sell my house <laughs> for the so, price of the... Yeah, so just for those two things, yeah. even though you pay the licence fee. But <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, go on then. Yes. I would encourage you to pay the licence fee thank for you. those two things. Okay, well, thank you very much for that. And thank you to everyone who's helped with this episode issue. 46. Mm-hmm. Again, it wasn't necessarily planned as a BBC special, but things came in and mm-hmm. I think we were able to sort of tie them up together. Yes. Um, episode 47 will be along in due course. Mm-hmm. Again, I've got some ideas about that. Mm-hmm. But for the moment, we'll say thank you and see you again. Bye-bye. Bye. That was episode 46 of Round the Archives. Starring Lisa Parker, Andrew Trowbridge, Warren Cummings, Simon Exton, Ken Moss, Martin Holmes, Andy Priestner, Paul Chandler and Nick Goodman. On the musical side, you heard Dan Tate and Paul Chandler. The script for All Creatures Great and Small, Big Steps and Little Ends was by Terence Dudley. And the producer was Bill Sellers. one clock this decade, two hours of which have now elapsed. At which point may I now wish you a very happy new year, particularly if I'm the first to do so. Thoughts echoed, I know, by all of those working tonight to bring a smooth and professional end to BBC One at the turn of the year. The sartorial elegance on the other side of the glass is something to behold with DJs and ball gowns aplenty. Who's wearing what you'll have to work out for yourselves. But there's Paul Tarlin, our engineer, ensuring perfect sound and vision. Sarah Rhodes, keeping our colleagues throughout Britain informed of our intentions, even if we don't abide by them. Robin Fletcher, in charge of scripts, timings and visuals. Pressing the thousands of buttons with panache, Louise Bresler. And keeping us all in order, director Nikki Don't Panic James. She's even got the power to fade me, rent a mouth miles, into oblivion. But not before I've reminded you that Radio 2 is now offering music and chat from Ellis Hill, while on Radio 4's longwave frequency, you'll find the BBC World Service broadcasting through to the early morning. From all of us, though, once again, a happy new year to you and a peaceful night. Good night.